And you have discussions about it. You have discussions with your partners and communicate that to your partners saying, you know what, I'm just not really not really happy where things are going. What can we do? How can we make things better? How You know, you have to address those things. You have to bring them to the forefront. You're not going to hide them like a little child and freaking pant and scream and cry and shit like that. No, you have to fucking have hard conversations. What's cooking, everybody? I am joined in the bunker today. Finally. Finally. Thank God. By my very good friend, Mr. Chaz Servino. This podcast has been a long time coming. We will explain in this episode why it hasn't happened until now, but I look forward to having Chaz in here again. He's got not just a perspective on marketing and business, which he's had an incredible career so far, but he's got a perspective on life that I really appreciate and want to make a regular part of this show. This is one of my favorite people, just a great all-around human and somebody who's making some moves and doing some pretty cool things. So... We'll get into that, what he's allowed to today, because some of it's kind of new. Wink, wink. But I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I know there's going to be a lot more like this to come, so I hope you guys enjoy as well. Anyway, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you're on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell button, and leave a like and comment on the video if you would, please. To all my people leaving five-star reviews with a comment on Apple Podcasts, thank you. They're coming out great. Let's keep those rolling. If you haven't had a second to do that and can leave a five-star review with a comment on there, I would really, really appreciate it. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trend Fire. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the nuance? You're giving opinions and calling them facts. Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. So, Cavaliers, we landed probably in like, I don't even know, 2013 or 2014. We were still, oh wait, yeah, this is so we had moved to the restaurant. We were above above the restaurant. Then we moved into Fairfield, into the Fairfield Commons, which is a thousand square feet. Felt like we were on top of the world. Um thousand... Is that next to the gas station? Yes, it is. Yeah. Like right... on the on yeah. all forty six, right? All forty six. Uh <laughs> I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. It was right before the uh the Sunoco there. Hilarious. <laughs> and um, it looks like a, it looks like apartments. They're like brick apartments. It looks <laughs> yeah. like apartments. That's one way to call it. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, but we felt like we were on top of the world there. And it was, uh, you know, one of my business partners had a, he had a connection with a cousin of his that worked at the Cavaliers, mm. which was fantastic. So we established a relationship with them. I found out my cousin was the VP of operations. So that also helped us, uh, you know, kind of cement like, oh, these guys are real. Like they're yeah. real people. They're yeah. not just like random, random kids. And, um, and pretty much they were like, we're having a lot of trouble, like monitoring our Twitter account. So we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? They're like, well, if people are at the games and say like a spill happens or like, and someone spills their Coca-Cola or, or like something like they need 
immediate attention to mm. within the arena at that time. People were tweeting at at the uh, at the Q arena. So like we need we need someone to monitor this like twenty four seven. Like, mm. and uh, we're like, yeah, we could we could do that. And they're like, now why wouldn't they just do that internally? So they were, they were, they had their security guards who really didn't know Twitter. And this is like, you know, this is ten years ago, decade ago. Like they didn't, they didn't, they had their security guards monitoring their Twitter guard. The guys didn't know how to, how to really navigate it or what to look for or how to respond. You know, yeah. you just got to be really quick. So they ended up they they bringing it in house, but at the time we were monitoring it and then sending them reports that next morning based upon what was being said so it was also at the arena but then it was also like things that were who were, who were tweeting at the calves so, like anytime anytime overnight or all Over, day overnight okay so you guys handled the graveyard shift yeah mm-hmm. so yeah we were doing the dirty work we do anything yeah. now we have the cleveland cavaliers on our client list the fuck yeah I so mean, that's we, like kind of the breakthrough moment yeah yeah and um and then which was really interesting was that one of the tweets that came in was said because LeBron had just left. So we got the Cavs when they were like the worst of the worst. Mm. Like LeBron had just left to Miami, which was that twenty. Yeah, it was like two or three years before. He hadn't come back yet, put it that way. They he were, didn't they come were back. Bad. They were as bad as yeah, they were as, bad. You, as you can be. So one of the fa- one of the Cleveland fans actually said, um, he goes, When LeBron comes back to the stadium, I'm gonna shoot up the stadium. That came on your watch. Yes. As our yeah, our company watch. So what do you do? So we sent it into the sent it into uh the Cavaliers, letting them know, like, hey, this guy just claimed this. I think we should, you know, you guys should look into uh, this. Oh yeah. So if my if my uh my memory is correct, they had reached out to law enforcement or I wasn't sure if it was the FBI or some sort of law enforcement. You know, got the guy's address, went to the guy's house, and he had over like ten unlicensed guns at his Holy house. Holy shit, he was serious. And they arrested him. Uh, wow. I don't know if, if someone's gonna do that, and they're gonna tweet about it prior to doing that. I don't know. That maybe. Well, they're it's crazy. Just, it's yeah. They're you never know. Like the, if they're, if they're crazy, they they could be well calculated and and planning something out with that, but they could be dumb enough and crazy enough to do something like tweet it out because they're dumb enough and crazy enough to think to do something like that in the first place it's i i mean you and i insane we can't relate to that it's it's craziness it's absolute craziness and they pretty much told us that thank you guys so much for for bringing this to our attention because we're sifting through how many people are tweeting out the calves every freaking day now thousands and thousands of people are you doing this yourselves going through yourself the tweets you don't what? have like you don't have an algorithm reading for them. No, this is just manual, <laughs> man. This is freaking... so you got you got the interns being paid pizza to go through and find the Unabomber. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean in other words, yes. I mean at that point we did have a few employees. We had like two or three employees, starting part time, part time employees to go through it. Wow. Well, yeah. I, and that's 2013, 2014. Yeah. So you've been you've been operating for two or three years. You get the calves. But still all the content, still just the management. When did it shift? Because you ended yeah. up having two companies too. You yes. had today's business and today's athletes. And today's athletes leveraged everything you did, ended up doing, not just this, yeah. inside of today's business to work with athletes and influencers. Mm-hmm. So you went far, far beyond this. But 
if you were going to an influencer or an athlete in like 2013, 2014, it's just like a, a content management guy. You weren't going to land those guys. So clearly, like after this, it had to make some sort of shift. It made some sort of shift. We, we started um, creating some tech within the affiliate space um, and being able to track conversions and now, sales. can you talk about the affiliate space for people? Because it's it's everyone knows what it is. They may just not know what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's when you see an influencer or an athlete or anyone on social, and they you're like, oh, use my code and get twenty bucks off, yep. um, or or make sure you use this link when you're signing up for a website. That's pretty much just uh, an affiliate link where people use in order to get discounts. But the the individual, the athlete who is putting out that that particular post with that link will then get compensated whether it's compensated in in cash in um in product but they are getting compensated some way somehow for 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 referring that particular person right. that's pretty much as simple as format as it is and we were in the process of creating some some tech that would actually when you have an influencer or an athlete they would be able to use this platform and then uh, find a deal through the platform with the brand and then be able to utilize that link in order to uh, make money off that off that particular transactions. Was that the thing you were working on with Pepper Jam? Yes. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because you guys ended up, I mean, that was a heavy part of the business. Oh, my goodness. Heavy part. Yeah. Like beyond just like the athlete links and everything, it was more like you were like an influencer network with it. Yep. So you're bringing in people to also match them with deals yourself. Exactly. That's what we did for a lot of athletes, influencers was bring them in, being able to curate deals for them with different brands. Um, we were really big in the in the supplement space, at ton, like bodybuilding.com, Nutrex, Cellucor, like a lot of those because the fitness the fitness uh, space and that nutraceutical space, I mean, huge margins. Yeah. So, uh, and on, in, and on Instagram, even in 2015, 2016, 2017, like it's huge, huge mm. on social. Well, when so. did the shift really like in your eyes go to Instagram where it's like, that's where our focus is. That's where the main money is. Cause at the beginning you're doing 2011, 2012, Instagram wasn't even created till 2012. You're doing Facebook, you're doing Twitter. Oh yeah. But then it really, I mean, the action, not that Facebook doesn't have action. I mean, I think it's a fucking cesspool, but you know, like it still clearly has a lot of revenue. Instagram's where the the culture is and where the world is in that mm -hmm. way. So when did that shift really start to happen in your eyes? About 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was like, we got to go all in on, on IG. And that was, I mean, at that point when you're, when you're, and you know how visual Instagram is. You mm -hmm. got to put out good content. Yeah. So you got to put out good, really good content for, for your influencers, athletes, and everyone alike. And then in order for, and then you got to keep cre uh, creating tons of creatives for for all of these influencer campaigns, athlete campaigns, in, for 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 affiliate. You know, and being able to like, okay, create this video, tell them, all right, do this, do this, and really, because when you're working with these athletes and influencers, um. Some of them are true creators, which is mm -hmm. one thing. Yep. But the athlete space that I notoriously in, former athlete, played football in college, like this is they 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 play football for a living. <laughs> they yeah. play they play in the NBA for a living. Like this is not what they do. If you're an influencer, you're a creator, this is what you do. All day. Yep. This is what you do every day. So you're coming up with creative ideas, you're coming up with concepts. When you're an athlete, you're you're putting up whatever you want on your social media, whether it's a brand, oh, this I just partnered with this brand, so on and so forth, so people know, you add that affiliate link. Putting that twist on it and giving them 
um, some more creative and some some really cool concepts behind it then set you apart because they're not they're usually all right this is blocking and tackling this is what we're doing right x y and z we if gotta, they do enough if they do with that much. at all yeah. because they're not really you know they don't really care about you know some people care like juju cares about his brand yeah. cares about his instagram cares about his youtube his tiktok the whole deal some guys could care less or they don't even want to be even on the social media platform so sometimes it was a uh it was a struggle just to get people. Hey, I think you really should considering like your 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 playing days only last yeah. short amount of time. You know, capture as many um, capture as many followers and individuals that know who you are and like who you are while you're still playing, while you're still on TV. When then you, because when you're done, you're done, and either you know you're good enough to be inducted to the Hall of Fame or do some other stuff. But that's it afterwards. You never have that attention again. No. Unless you have already curated a platform to be able to continue to have it. And still, what a lot of these athletes, it seems to me, don't realize, and, and it's hard, man. I mean, you come in at 21, 22, 20, 19, whatever. You don't, you don't understand shit. No. You know, like, I didn't know anything at that age. So we expect them to know this. No, they, they just don't get it. Like, the... The ability to have all those cameras automatically on you because that's your job and the amount of awareness that creates around you and the interest it creates around you because there's the unknown of what you are going to do performing said job, win, lose, have your stats, whatever, you're, you, you can't replicate that. And these guys are often the last to know as well. Like forget the fact that some of them can have their career end like that. You know, suddenly oh, yeah. they play bad. One and like, injury. Yeah, right. exactly. They get injured. They're done. But they also may just, you know, they might be chugging along and kind of taking it for granted. And then they're 29 and suddenly they lose a step. Mm-hmm. And they lose another step that season. And then next year they come there and they're struggling to make the roster. Or, you know, they're getting traded or bought out in their contract in the NBA. And suddenly, like, not only are, do they not have a star and not have that attention because they're not on the court or on the field right now or not playing much. But now it's over. And now it's like two years later, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Hold on, let me go back and watch the game and see who's really playing. Mm-hmm. That, that's a hard conversation to have with these guys. Because it, when they're in the moment and they're the star or they're on the up, you're not thinking like that. No. It's the last thing that you even want to put in your mind. Never mind have those conversations or have those hard conversations. You don't even want to put that in your client's mind that like, hey, this could be over. But reality sets in. You're, you got to be a realist at the end of the day, and you got to be able to tell them, hey, unfortunately, it's not going to last forever. Yeah. So you move you move into affiliate pretty heavy after 2013. You start. No, no, that was probably, that was a little later. We moved later. into full digital first. We moved into like doing SEO, mm. so organic search. Yeah. We moved into, you know, doing paid ads on Google, then, so, then social ads. We moved into the ad space prior to moving into um, affiliate. And so you built up your creative chops when you were doing that too, because yes. when you're, yeah, you're basically running. And SEO is something that even to this day, like people are still like, oh yeah, SEO, we do it. Or oh, SEO, yeah, that thing. You need it. You need it. I mean, if you, people can't find you on Google, you know, might as well be in the fucking desert. That's it, man. So you were focused pretty much all on Google with that. Because mm-hmm. we were still working with small, medium-sized businesses and those medium-sized, those businesses, hospital systems, construction companies, like those businesses, real estate companies, they need SEO. If you're looking for an apartment in Edgewater, if you're not showing up on the first page, there's eight other, you know, there's three ads and there's, you know, five other listings on the first page. So that's it. 
That's yeah. it. No one's who the hell's going to the second page. The data going of people that go beyond the first or second choice on Google. I don't have it up right now, but yeah. it's ridiculous. It's like eighty some percent of people don't go past the first choice when they type something in. So, or or eighty percent go after that that the three ends. Exactly. So like even They're, if people are paying up top, the people who have the organic may not even get rewarded because they don't go they don't go past that. I mean it's it's crazy when you think about it because we have such an appetite for instantaneous decision mm -hmm. you know and there's all the think about all the things people google in a day it's how they get the answer on anything and everything they want to do so when you take into account it's not like they're searching one or two things a day when they're searching shit they're searching a million things they don't have time to go to page two click this article go back you know how much work that is man <laughs> i gotta go back i gotta go back onto the google no no i can't do that I mean, now it's all Google knowledge panels. Now it's like, you know, the frequently asked, you know, the frequently asked questions right on Google. So they tell What's you. Google? The, What's Google knowledge panel? It's literally, it's like it curates the internet and pretty much gives you like a profile on individuals, mm. on businesses. And it, it's around the first page. So you really don't have to click even <laughs> on the, <laughs> you don't even have to really click on uh, a website or something to, you know, Wikipedia or whatever it may be to to get on there. They really want to, they want to give you that answer right on Google's home, you know, on the yeah. homepage. I mean, the homepage is, is just the search, is just a search, a search uh, bar. So, I mean, they want to give you those answers and the quicker Google provides you with those answers, the more reliable it is and the more you're going to, the more you're going to search on there because it's giving you yeah. the information. Now, when did you guys start really talking with the athletes and influencers? And was that a did that happen naturally? Was that a conversation like, oh, let's start focusing on this or how to go? Twenty thirteen. We, you know, me and my business partner both played college ball. So what did you play? I played wide receiver. No, where? Where I played at Syracuse and then ended up transferring to Hofstra. The so. Cuse. Oh, the Cuse is. Yeah, I loved it there. Yeah, that was. Okay. Um, who, who was the coach when you came in? Greg Robinson. Greg Robinson, West 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 Coast guy. So mm. he didn't fit too well on the East, but you know we loved we loved Gregor's, and uh, you know he we only won like four games his fifth and final year. Um, that and was your freshman year, two thousand nine, two thousand eight mm. was my freshman year. Um, redshirted my first year, and then um, played every game as a redshirt freshman in two thousand nine, and then coach got fired, stayed through spring ball. Stuck it out because that's that's pretty interesting stories. Who who came in? Uh, Doug Marone. Doug Marone. Is he still? Do we have like? Is he still the head coach of Jacksonville? No, no, he got fired, right? No, no, Urban Myers. Now that oh coach. yeah, Urban yes. Myers. I forgot yes. about that. That's crazy. Yes, it's but yeah, he was that's the great. head coach until what, like a couple months ago, I guess. He yeah, got fired. do we have like like those buttons around here where it's like? I don't know, like they have it on those game shows or like on like Kramer where it's like, do you have any of that? Like some really, do you have something? I hit that. That's the app? <laughs> yeah. You gotta be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so that's where I'm like, that's dun, never dun, been dun. used before. That's never Doug. been used before. Never been used? Never been used. What the fuck? I love it. I love it. I have one on my. On my desk that says no. Oh. Yeah. That's right no. to the point. I yeah. like that. Yeah. No. No. So Marone comes in. And literally the guy is just a total, total fucking ass clown. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Why? 
the guy is on like some high horse and just wants to, and I understand it from the perspective now. I do as like business owner and somebody down the line. When you're 17, 18 years old, you just don't, you don't respect it and you don't agree with it. So he came in and was pushing everybody to transfer. Didn't matter who the heck it was. I mean, if it was that we had we had a wide receiver, then to play in the league for a number of years, Mike Williams. Yeah. Who he, he you know he let Mike do whatever you know Mike could do no wrong. Right. Mike had you know forty inch vert, and the guy you know was six two six three, and <laughs> was out of this world athletic. So, um, but everybody else on the team, we had to do you know six a.m. workouts, but they were five days a week. Usually you do 6 a.m. workouts, like two days a week. This is after he comes in. This is spring ball. So as soon as he comes in, we start uh, off-season conditioning and winter workouts. Mm. That's the first first conversations. Everything is like, okay, we're getting into spring. We're getting into winter workouts and then spring ball. Did he tell you he wanted you to transfer, though? Like, did he sit? Because you said he he made everyone want to transfer. Was that a conversation? Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, but that was... I mean, he hinted at that throughout the winter conditioning and spring ball. And then afterwards, it was like, all right, I think you should transfer, you know, X, Y, and Z. Pretty much he was telling me that I was going to like, you know, wash the dishes and like, like, like weird, like weird shit. Like, oh yeah, you're going to be holding the bags for the next three years here. I'm like, I just didn't understand what the fuck he was talking about. I'm like, I don't, I don't really get it. We just, and, and part, partially when he first came in, we had to do all, all new assessments, 40, 5, 10, 5, uh, hundred meter. So we had to do all that. And I was, you know, and I'm not saying me, it was, it was, a, it was over 40 guys transferred. That's a third, over a third. Holy of the, shit. Yeah, it's a third of the team. Like, you don't, can you put a team on the field at that point? No, you need to get a ton of Juco transfers. You need a ton of people coming in to feel the team. At that point, he's making that like the NFL, though. Like these are these are college. Well, that's kids. the whole thing. Did we? Did, did I choose to sign a letter of intent with you, Joe, Doug Marone? No. no, I inherited you like a friggin' like a terrible stepfather. Yeah, like I don't know what you you know, but he came in. So we had to do these five day a week, you know, winter conditioning, and people were leaving at six a.m. Six a.m. But if everyone, so it was called Manly Fieldhouse where Syracuse still trains mm-hmm. yeah. the football fieldhouse. And if you didn't have your Manly issued sweatpants, sweatshirt, he sent you outside in Syracuse with a foot of snow with shorts and a t-shirt on. <laughs> so you had to wear the uniform. And if you No, were- no, no. We know if every person on the entire team didn't have their uniform, then you had to go out there with shorts and a t-shirt. If everyone came out there with sweatpants and a sweatshirt, you could wear your sweatpants and a sweatshirt and go train, you know, uh, you know, humanely, if that's a word. It is. All right, good. So, <laughs> so you can, you could train in sweatpants and sweatshirt, but think about this. People were walking off the field with hypothermia and frostbite and giving him the middle finger and leaving the, leaving the field because... It was inhumane. He was trying to get him to transfer. Of course. He was trying to get him to leave. But that wouldn't, today, that wouldn't go. He'd be fired in a second. Are you kidding me? He'd be fired in a second. In a second. One one Instagram story about it, he's gone. He's finished. Honestly, for that, he should be. That's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, there should, I'm sure, but this happens so often in college football. You know, I was just watching the news and, you know, there's, you know, um, what is it called when uh, hazing? 
there's tons of different yeah, rules yeah. now about hazing and and about freshmen coming in. Like some of it's for the good, some of it's for the bad. Exactly. You know, you don't want a coach forcing who he's the boss of forcing 18, 19, 20 year olds to go out and it, I mean in Syracuse it had to be what minus ten degrees out there easily. Yeah, like that. That's not that. That's not humane. To no, use it is a word. But you know, there's like some softness around some other things too. Like when people people overuse hazing and shit like that. No, like, you know 100%, what I mean. And yeah. I could definitely relate to that. Like. When you when apples and oranges, Syracuse and and at Hofstra both did some some freshman type stuff because when I transferred there, I was a junior in the classroom, but I was yeah, I was a junior, I was a junior coming in, but I was kind of like when you're a transfer, yeah. like who you who do you relate with? You're also with like a bunch of the freshmen that are coming in because you don't know anybody either. So you did transfer. To so Hofstra, when I did though. transfer to Hofstra, um, but you have to do like funny things as like hazing. You have yeah. to do like a skit and like uh, all right, get up in front of. Get in front of the team and like do like a funny skit of like you know make fun of another player or the coach or like and those, that's fine. Come on, that's yeah, more than fine. fine. It's like these paddle slapping and like like yeah. sh- like you know shit that you know it's just like doing the stuff that we had to do. Like yeah, you, that's that's that's, that's like that's what you you fun. know what I mean though because the line now like there is no line. People are like you I know they're think- they're instantaneously soft about shit and everything's getting taken away and because you know everything's transparent. But on on the Marone point and him coming in, this is a this is a topic I actually think about a lot because college coaches, college football coaches at D one yeah. schools or college basketball coaches, like the big yeah. money making sports, it's cutthroat business. Mm-hmm. They come in, they got a short leash. Oh yeah, they got it, and and it's their career. They either win or or they're out, and they don't get it. You don't. The chances of getting a second chance are very, very hard. Oh, yeah. Slim to none. So I empathize with the fact that they need to put their best product out there. Mm-hmm. But there is something wrong with the system where you have it with kids stuck in the middle. Because I, I don't care what you say. If you're in the NFL, if you're in the NBA, you're being paid hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Business. Deal with it. Coach doesn't want you, too fucking bad. You're going to another team. You play in the fucking league, dude. That's mm-hmm. what it is. When you're a college kid, let's even think worst case scenario, you're a freshman. You've never been away from home before. Coach gets fired. That's the coach who sat in your living room and said, I'm going to be, looked your parents in the eyes, looked you in the eyes and said, I'm going to be like a second father to you. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly they're gone. And so for me, when these other coaches come in, they need I, I understand they have a job to do and they have to have some hard conversations. Like if if the last system was a spread offense and this is going to be a West Coast offense and there was a quarterback who was recruited there to play spread, right? Well, he's probably not going to play West Coast. So be like a dad to him and help him figure out his life. Don't be like, yo, fuck you, get off my team. You know, I I was talking with Grant Wiley about this on a podcast a few weeks ago because he was there when Rich Rodriguez came in. Oh, West at Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. Now Grant started as a fre- as a redshirt freshman, and the year af- Michael Vick won freshman of the year as a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. The year after Grant won redshirt freshman of the year in the Big East as a redshirt freshman. So he was look, wow. he was one of the best players on the team. Fuck yeah! Even him, when Rodriguez came in, he didn't look at Grant and say, "Grant, transfer," but he looked right at Grant. And he was like, "Yeah, listen, everything you did, uh, it, it means shit to me." Dude, same. It's the exact same words that they used at Syracuse. That played never game last year. Had a few catches. Nothing. Nothing to brag about, yeah. but when you're on the field, you're like, okay, 
What's the next step? I want to play more. I want play. you want to play. That's why you're there. there. There's nothing wrong with the motivation. Is my point. There's nothing wrong with you no. know. Hey, th- there's certain things that have to change. We have a job to do. Whatever. But the fact that these guys are just when they take these jobs, they're like, I'm gonna get all my guys in here. So I don't give a fuck what you do. If you're here, you no longer matter. Exactly. And I'm gonna throw you out in the minus ten degree weather just to prove that you know you need to leave. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. That's over the line. But there has to be the – I understand the business. There has to be that balance there. You can't treat these kids like cattle. And I saw it – I've talked about it before. I've talked with you yes. about it. I saw it up close with some of my guys in college, yeah. right? Some of my best friends who played D1 ball yeah. where we were. Like I watched how the coach mistreated them, and that pissed me the fuck off. And, and in a couple situations, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll never be okay with that in, in any way, shape, or form. And I'm thinking like, damn, like that's not you – know, it was D1AA, right? That's not even D1A, like Syracuse or something. <laughs> Nothing like it. You know, this is a moneymaker. It is a business, and they they take it. They they put these kids in the middle of it, and they don't fucking pay them. That's bullshit. It's 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 bullshit. And I think, I mean, to a few to a couple points, they won't let you transfer in the same in the same conference. I couldn't transfer anywhere else in the Big East. Is We're, that still a rule? I think it's changed, but. You at that point you couldn't transfer in the Big East. Come on, I'm getting recruited on the East Coast. Who the fuck is recruiting me? It's the Big East, man. Like obviously I had a lot of one double A schools and like so who else is recruiting you? So I end up transferring to a one double A, which I didn't have to sit out at all, which was great, but you have to Oh, that's how so if you transferred to anywhere one A, you would have had to sit out a year. Sit out for a year. When I have no choice of this, it it, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense. So, but then, and and to Doug Marone's point, do I understand where he's coming from? As someone yes. who founded my own business, ran my own business, like, yes, I understand. You want to get as much of your own people in here as possible. If you're just taking over a new business as a new CEO and you inherit this company or buy this company, who are you gonna? You're gonna keep a couple of the top people, and you're gonna you're gonna siphon through the ninety percent of the other ones to bring in your own people. I get it. It's the way you go about it and the lack of respect that you have for other human beings that are kids is what I, that's, you know, that's why I refer to him as an ass clown because he's just, it, it wasn't the right thing. I never really, you know, did I ever publicly fucking say anything about it? No. no but you, around you. small circles, around, you know, football guys, around other guys that you play ball with, playing the New York, New Jersey game with, I play in the All-American game in, in Florida. Like, those are the guys where you... You can fight in the stuff because they've been there and done it. They all play D1 ball. They all played high level. They know how it works. And you know what? To your point, it is a business, but you're also dealing with kids. And you're dealing with kids that, exactly, they're sitting in your living room telling you they're going to take care of you. And is it their fault that they got fired? Is it their fault that they didn't win? You know what? There's a lot of factors that go into it. At the end of the day, you can't hold these kids hostage at a place that they didn't even decide that they wanted to go with this particular coach. Like, you got to be able to train. I think they have loosened the rules over the years. This was just during my time that I personally experienced that couldn't even transfer in conference. I think now there's a whole transfer. Like, now it's, like, really official now with a transfer yeah. portal. Like, all right, this guy's going to be moving into the transfer portal. It's this quarterback from Oregon or this, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit it's better. It's definitely better, but at the same time, I think they're loosening up. They understand, man. You can't can't do this. You can't do this to kids. It's a lot though, too. 
you're uprooting your life and you're young. Yes. You're not a professional. You're not no. 25 or 30 or whatever. And like, this is just how it works. You're young. You're out of your house for the first time. You're on a college campus, which is like this enclosed community. And suddenly like, boom, you have to leave here. You have to leave all your friends. You have to leave the thing that you sat there and sign your letter of intent to commit to, to go somewhere else. I mean, the, the onus, not the onus, the, the, the higher pressures of the situation are on the kid there. Because now it's like, well, fuck. And you got to go keep getting your goddamn degree the whole time. What program are you going to go into? It's such a crazy concept to me. And, and you know, I, I'm glad you speak up about it because guess what? It fills in blanks, too. When Doug Marone went to the NFL, you know, he, let's let's give him some credit here. Oh, yeah. When he came into Syracuse, despite he the fact Syracuse he was Hitler, rare. you know, he turned it around a little bit. I shouldn't call him Hitler, but you know what I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, he turned, they at least started winning games and he did get his guys in there. But, you know, he had to leave blood on, on, on the streets to do it. And so he goes to the NFL, coaches for the Bills for a couple of years, did something shady at the end there to get out of his contract. I forget what it, it was. It was it, fucking shady. It was. You remember? Yeah. Do you remember? What I don't was? know what exactly he had to do, but I remember it was like a whole bunch of controversy around it. Yeah. So if you listen to like the guys that played for him there, they all rip him. Then you watch him go down to Jacksonville and again, start to turn around what they were doing there and <laughs> fell off a cliff. And so you see these guys like the Jalen Ramseys of the world, even the Leonard Fournettes. And what label do they get? Because they're pros. And, you know, with Jalen and Leonard, they do like to talk a lot, entertaining guys, right? They get the label of, oh, they're prima donnas, they're problem childs or whatever. No, I don't think so. I, I, I think they've kind of proved that point at this point because they left the ship. A lot of other people did. No one had anything good to say about him. They're all at least happy where they are now. Fournette just won a Super Bowl with yeah. Tom Brady in Tampa. And it, it's, you know, we put these tags on these players and people don't know what some of these guys are like behind the scenes. And so getting the view into like how he was in college, you think he was going to be any different in the pros? Now he's got the total professional label on it. Of course he's going to be the same. He's going to be worse in the pros. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some guys, I think, you know, I can't, can't you know i i really don't want to talk about him anymore because he's just he's it's just it brings back bad memories at the same time like at that point then i transferred to hofstra and you love syracuse though right love like the school i love cues love the school met a ton of great people that i'm still best friends with today like friends forever and uh transferred to hofstra and as soon as i get there it's like okay we're getting started so i'm i'm all jacked up i don't have to sit out at all i could start playing and so it's the first couple of games of the year. I ended up breaking my rib, puncturing my lung, <laughs> catching a ball run down the sidelines, and then I'm out the whole rest of the year. And so, you were playing all wide receiver pretty wide much out. In, in, in college. Wide out. They were going to start using me like um, Coach Patnode was the uh, the offensive coordinator. He was like, all right, we're going to start using like Wildcat, different things as like using your quarterback skills, stuff like that in the week that week of practice, I'm like all jacked up. I'm like, all right, been here for a few weeks. All right, now it's now I'm finally like getting into the groove. The, you know, this is like 2010, something like that. Yeah, 2010. That's like when Ronnie Brown and and Cadillac Williams in yeah. Miami was doing the Wildcat yeah. and, and beat the Pats. Yeah. So this is when that was like the big. Oh, oh everyone's got to do this. Now. Oh yeah, and God. that's where. Um, so then I get hurt. I'm out the whole year. That off season. They literally canceled the football program. Cancel the program. Like they don't gone. They, they gone. They don't have a program anymore. They don't have a football team anymore from 2011. 
Oh, no, this is 2010. 2010. When did that... So is that like right after the season? That or? was right after the season. We're getting ready for winter condition. We're getting ready for... No, we're getting ready for like off-season workouts. Finish the season. We're getting off-season workouts. And I'm... I remember I was in freaking a math class taking a test and I get a thing like come down to Margiata Hall, which was the the uh, the football facility at Hofstra in, in Long Island. And they were like, oh, yeah, come down. Urgent, urgent, urgent meeting, urgent team meeting. Walked down there. And by the time I got there, everyone was in the parking lot like crying or like upset because they're like, dude, I fucking worked my way up all the way. I'm a senior here. Now you're going to cancel the whole program? You know, it was... It was pretty, uh, pretty surreal. Just the the Why'd they this cancel? chain of events. I think the new president of the school didn't care for it. Um, didn't care for football. Didn't care for for what it did for the school from a cultural standpoint. From from a uh, from a camaraderie standpoint. Money involved. Yeah, it costs it costs money to run the football program quite a bit. And uh, and he was putting a medical school in at the time. And I feel like that's where things started shifting. I think there was another shift because um, because the Jets left left the Hofstra facility that they used to that they used to do all of their training camp there, oh, and they yeah. ended up moving to to Florin Park. Yeah. So that was, I think, another another big you know revenue hit to the uh, to the school and to the, the to the program. So I mean, crazy because I had a bunch of really cool. Really, really cool guys that went to Hofstra before me that that really were like, oh, you got to come, you got to build on that tradition, the wide receiver tradition here. Yeah, they sent guys to the league. Yeah, Colston was there at yeah. at the uh, at the spring ball game that I uh, attended prior to uh, committing. So like, it was very, very weird. It was a very weird time, um, because I was. I was just trying to figure out what the wait, what am I going to transfer again? And pretty mm-hmm. much that was one that was one semester. So, so you transfer you basically decide to transfer like in the summer? Yeah, when, right right okay. so right after spring ball. So Maroon goes through the whole thing, he tells me you're going to be holding bags, you're going to be washing dishes, whatever it may be. I'm like, "Fuck, man, I got to And you this. played in every game as a freshman. Retro freshman. Retro freshman played in every game, only had a few catches, but and what was off, your what off, was your 40? 4 4 Legit. You were fast. Yeah. Wow. I got a little slower at Syracuse just because they're putting, they're, you know, I don't even agree with some of the things that in college programs that they do. Like, all right, you got to get underneath the bar. Yeah, you want to put on weight, dude. I'm I'm speed. I'm quickness. Yeah. I'm agility. I was, up, I was up to like 185 when I should have been at 175 still. Um, But I still was in top five fastest um, 40s on the Syracuse team. Which wow. my boy Art Jones just brought up the other day. Shout out, Art Jones. There's Shout a out. throwback. How's he doing? Shout out, baby. He's doing good. He had he had what like an eight nine year career. In yeah, the yeah. yeah Colts, Ravens, won a Super Bowl. That is the the third brother, Chandler and Johnny Bones Jones, right? Yep. Art's their brother. Yeah. Wow. So you played with him at Syracuse. Yeah, cool. I played with Chandler and uh, and Art. So. Oh, you played with Chan? Oh, fuck yeah! What year was Chandler in the yeah. draft? Yeah. I think he was 2012. I think he was 2012 or 2013. I could be wrong. Did but. he come in with you? Was he in? Or he came in the year after. So my retro freshman it. year was his freshman year. And Arts was your? Art was there prior. So I think Art's two years older than Chan. Oh, so he was the year above you and then Chan was the year below you. Yeah. 
God, who else did you play with there? There were some good players coming Justin up. Justin Pugh, my man Pugh. Oh, uh, Pugh. How's he doing? So I didn't play with him, but he came in after me, and then we became really close friends. Um, who else? Who else? Um, you're talking about guys who play in the league? or just Yeah, like, and then even like some guys who might know for whatever reason. Didn't, didn't, um, you told me about this. It was like the first business coming out of. Oh, Marinovich? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Todd Marinovich's brother played? Yeah, Todd Marinovich. What was his name? Uh, Mikhail. Mikhail. Okay, so he was up at Syracuse too. Yeah, Mikhail was really good. Um, Did you meet the father? Marv? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I was, I I had a little business venture with, uh, with Marv and, and Mikhail. Out of college. Out of college, yeah. That was that was pre kind of digital, pre me with uh, today's business and everything. It was what for pre- like a month. Uh I, I was still running it when when I was with today's business. So there was a lot of riff <laughs> having that business and another business kind of starting. Wait, wait. So with the father and Mikhail. <laughs> yeah. Now was the father harder than Marone? <laughs> That's no. a real question. The father just wouldn't. He 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 didn't really talk too much. He was really? very, very to himself, very silent. But that was older in his in his date. He was very, he was old in his days. You know, he was in his probably mid seventies, and I guess sixties. And he was, um, I think, you know, pretty much we were trying to uh, utilize his teachings and his trainings to be mm. able to bring them to the masses. I mean, he's trained Troy Polamalu, friggin' BJ Penn. Um, the UFC back in these all back in the day when Penn was jumping out of the pool and landing on the outside of the yeah. pool it was like oh shit like yeah that's the water workouts that Marv was doing with them Tyson. he was training all these guys yeah Tyson Chandler when Tyson was the defensive player of the year with the uh, New York Knicks um, I'm surprised you know why I'm surprised at that why because you know the story was out on the older son because I guess Mikhail was a lot younger than a Todd, lot younger yeah right. Yeah. So Todd was the old for people that don't know what we're talking about. Todd yeah. was the, the Robo QB. Yeah, he was the. And what was the full story there? Todd was parade all American. He was the number one draft pick by the Raiders, which Mikhail's godfather was Al Davis, um, because Marv was the first NFL trainer. He created the NFL Combine. Is Marv Marinovich? Marv Marinovich created the NFL Combine. Yes, but with okay, all right. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Which is pretty pretty crazy to think about but so todd was quarterback at usc drafted by the raiders was the like i don't know who like the peyton manning the andrew luck like this was a can't can't miss prospect and marv's teachings and trainings was as a toddler he would stretch him he would train him like literally since he was uh like a, to- a toddler training him like a maniac not letting him eat like he never could have any fast food, Oreos, nothing like that. It was all he never ate dressed, sugar. I don't think right? never ate sugar. Like never had it or something. It was like never in his system. He never <laughs> provided his son sugar for any. But it was he was to the tenth degree of coddling and then also grooming him to be the next great quarterback. And Lefty, he was unbelievable. Yeah. And then um, you know had a you know he I think he just. He was burnt out, and he was just like, sh- and he went off, kind of went off the deep end, and uh, I would too, man. I mean, yeah, that's it's crazy. Oh yeah, think about it. It is, it is, and uh, I think uh, Marv definitely didn't take that approach with Mikhail. He kind of let him 
to a certain degree. Like as he was growing up, he was very strict. Then he kind of loosened the reins up because he mm. saw what happened with, with Todd that he didn't want that to happen with Mikhail. So um, there's a great I, thirty for thirty on that. Oh, unbelievable thirty that? for thirty. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Um, I'm I'm like yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for that guy for for Todd Marinovich because you know th- mentally not not to totally rain on on his dad here but let's let's just call it what it is mentally that is um to know like once you get out into the world like even just going to college and seeing what else is out there and like something as simple as seeing someone else eating sugar it's you know the tree of life mentality of of like well what the fuck have i been doing that's going to play with your head. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and he went to some dark places, and obviously his career didn't pan out because of it because, as you said, he just burnt out and I guess had some drug problems and stuff. But, yeah. you know, he's had his life in order for a long time now, and, and I'm really – I was I walked away from that documentary with a lot of respect for that guy because he's not bitter. No. He's, you know, he's – I forget what he does now, but he's like a pretty successful guy. Um, and that, that's, that's, that's hard because that's ingrained in you, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, rest in peace to Marv Marinovich, who just passed away recently. He did. Yeah. I didn't know that. Not a few months ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, but it was, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great people that came through, that came through Cuse. I mean, the Jones brothers, huge. Um, what a family. Oh, my goodness. Un- unbelievable. I mean, there's so many great, so many great guys that came through that organization. Tony Fiametta. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a monster. Were, were there guys, you know, like whether it be a Chandler or an Art or somebody like that, when you came onto campus and you're watching guys for the first time, is there something in your eyes that goes Sundays? Um, that happened to me with DeLon Carter. He was a running back. He played in the league for four or five years. He was like Mr. Ohio. Mm. I, You just look at him and you're like, uh-oh, that dude had – I don't know what they call it, popcorn muscles. Like there was muscles yeah. on top of muscles, and you're like, oh. And he doesn't even like he was working hard, but like he couldn't work that hard because he would have been too big to be able to be that fast and strong yeah. and break tackles and make moves. Like so, but you saw that guy, and you're like, he's going to be in the league, and he was. Yeah, it's you know, and it's it's kind of crazy too because. You watch high school football games and stuff, and sometimes there's like a sophomore playing or a freshman. You got an O lineman who's like 5'10, 185, and then you, you get to like D1. And if, if an O lineman walks on there at like 6'3 and 270, get to the cap and start eating, pal. Like, like you're going to have a problem here. You better start doing your squats and lifting. It is a whole whole different level and then that's why you know they say every play is like a car crash because it's just huge humans hitting each other yeah you're just having freaking collisions every freaking play i didn't want to think about my brain and cte Uh, dude i think your brain's i've known you for a long time now i think i think your brain operates pretty well it's all right i've never i've never noticed you like zoning out or anything like that or not talking really (laughs) really fucking fast you know so, but it's, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know. They, oh, it's real. Yeah. It's real. Um, and it's a lot of positions too. It's not just linebacker or D-line or, you know, O-line or running back. It's, it's a lot of, the, another thing we were talking about, Chris Henry, who's buddies with Grant, yeah. rest in peace, Chris yeah. Henry. He was the first guy because he tragically died very yeah. young. I believe he was the first guy who 
they confirmed had CTE because he died in 09 when they were first studying what this could be. And his mom was nice enough to donate his organs for, you know, for other people to have transplants and donate his brain to study his brain. And he was, a, you know, he was a stretch the field wide receiver. He mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, this guy wasn't, he wasn't getting hit that hard all the time. And even he had it. That's, that's well, creepy. Because X amount, you're only seeing, think about it. You're, you're practicing, I would say 10 times more than you're playing. Yeah. In football, you don't realize it, but you play for you play for a few hours on a on a, on a weekly basis. Never mind what goes into spring ball. Yeah, you're practicing and playing and hitting each other. Really doing hitting drills. I know they've limited a lot of that over the years now because it's just it's too it's too much. What was it like when you were there? Were they starting to pay attention to that, no, or was no, it? Yeah, it was not still, at all. Not at all. Still, just get out there and hit a motherfucker. Yeah, and. One of my best friends, I talked to him all the time, and, and he was like, and he played linebacker. And he's like, but do you understand if they're like, all right, run it back. When I am the middle linebacker and you have Tony Fiametta, who yeah. is a battering ram. Yeah. The guy was, I looked at him and, and said, he was one of those guys that you're like, he's playing in the league. And he did <laughs> for a number of years, Cowboys, a bunch of different teams. The guy was a monster. So he was so, big, so, man. So, so your job is in practice. They're like, okay, we're going to run ISO. Okay, you know it's coming. It's just the inside drill. So there's no wide, the wideouts, the DBs, everyone is doing one-on-ones or they're doing, you know, scale drill where they're, we're running patterns and, and they're doing covering and stuff like that. Mm. This is inside drill. So he's like, okay, we're going to do an ISO. So he's the middle linebacker and Tony Fiametta goes through the hole and you're like, all right, he's going to come and hit me. And he's running fully, full speed, full speed at me. Boom, boom. And you're like, okay, run it back. So he's just going to run right at me and f clock the shit out of me. And I got to stand here like a wall and take this. Boom. Boom. I'm like, you're ringing. Your head is ringing. Your body is, f you're like, yeah. this isn't right. Yeah. And no one has any, no one, and all they do, keep taking Tylenol, Ibuprofen, painkillers. It's just, that's just, how how you going to deal with that? And then guess what? That's, and people blame him for that, on, but it's like, what? What would you do? You know? And then the coach is in your face screaming, "Get up! Let's yeah. go!" Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. It's it's pretty crazy. But then guess what? That's on a Tuesday. That's a random Tuesday. Yeah. What's happening on Wednesday? What's happening on Thursday? Fridays the walkthrough. Saturdays the games. Then you're in the game. Yeah. Then you're full. never mind on what's on Wednesday. What's on Thursday? And you're just like, oh wait, I got to stand here by a guy who's two forty. Running a 4-4, I don't even know what the force or maybe Amazon Web Services now has the freaking analytics on like... They definitely do. <laughs> my brain just moved 10 times. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, so you get shook up. I, I, I'm... This is a constant, constant um, discussion in my house on kids. Do our kids play football, you know? Well, you played from the time you were what, like like two years old. <laughs> That's why I know I have like we're yeah. we got we got the videos. <laughs> Shout out Fairfield Falcons. You play for the Fairfield Falcons? Yeah. 
Oh, no, no, no. We were on like the D team. I don't even know what they called us, but oh. we were in the Fairfield League. My dad created a little league over there with a, like a hundred other fathers. Of course he did. Of course he did. And uh, we ended up beating like the, the older Fairfield Falcons when we were like two or three years old. We played like the five and six year olds, oh, beat them up. Oh my God. But I, I don't even, don't even know. If, I mean, he did have consent forms by the fathers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's Statue of Limitations now over 20 years <laughs> because he does have the videos. We haven't watched those videos in a number of years, so um, I know we would like to start getting those out there on YouTube. I think, I think mothers and women would have a hard time watching, you know, two or three year olds like tackle and, and beat the shit out of each other. Um, at least it's and and not that it's good. At least it's two and three year olds, though. You know, when you're two three hundred pounders coming at each it's, other, you're right. The force, <sighs> the force. That, it's not good, but no. you know what I mean. It's no. different. No, you're you're. you're I mean, you're you're freaking like a you're you're a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not quite there. But I've talked to a lot of guys who, whether it be friends or people I meet who maybe play at the collegiate level and stuff, and they talk about maybe when they're like a year or two out from playing, and they're lucky enough to not really be like damaged, and their head clears, and they're like, "The fuck? Did, what is this? They never felt it before because they've been playing football since they were ten years old." You know, and they never realize there's like that fog there because every day it's like hit, 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 hit. Okay, hit, hit, hit. You know, the way they get through it, especially in college, I mean, it's, 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 all... you smoke weed at night. That's pretty much like how you, you can't keep yourself. You can't do that clear. in college. You're getting drug tested. You couldn't do that in college? No. I mean, they've been drug testing forever, but I, everyone smokes. All the football players smoke. Weed. I know they, they do, and it's coming out now. Like more and more are coming out saying they do, but college you're getting drug tested man you're getting thrown off the team a lot of guys got thrown off the team really oh yeah they rather give you painkillers at that time this is all yeah i guess so 20 2008 painkillers and shit Ugh. what else are you providing someone that's having chronic friggin' neck pain back i mean never yeah, mind your like... head when you're hitting people like this on a, on a daily basis but your back your knees your ankles i mean your whole body you don't that's when you when you talk to like when you talk to guys who play ball, it's they're like, all right, are, are you healthy? And then you show the injury report, like, oh yeah, I'm healthy. No, I'm questionable. I'm probable. Like, dude, if you're if if they're saying you're healthy, you know, you got a bunch of nicks and bruises. You're not going out there like, all right, we're like we're in the middle of summer. Like, all right, we're I'm good. No, you you're beat. Your body is yeah. beat up, man. Yeah, and, and play, some of the injuries these guys play through, it's it's a it's terrible for you, but it's amazing. It is I mean, amazing. The willpower, the the uh, the type of um, just strength, mental mental strength that they have throughout this whole thing to be able to go out there and play at the level that they play and and withstand the type of injuries that they have and play through them is, is incredible. And again, back I, I think we come back to this point like five times, but prime example: the cattle mentality with the coaches. Like, oh yeah, you're a little nicked. You're good. Get back out there. Like. What? I remember one one time my buddy Meat. It's exactly what he sounds like. Yeah. He was a he was <laughs> one of the most athletic people I've ever seen in my life. Like straight up hillbilly athleticism. Like from the from the country. You know, yeah. just naturally. Probably when he was three, picked up a bar and squatted it. And there was I never watched a video because I didn't even have access to it. But there was a video of him in practice with his knee where somehow because he's a freak you know squatted like 700 pounds he was insane yeah. 
somehow not every single ligament in his knee tore. He probably like slightly tore his MCL and some of the, not the ACL, but the other ones. Yeah. But his knee, they were telling me, went back like a toothpick. And they, you know, he was like, oh, fuck. Like, oh, my God. Comes off the field. They wrap it in ice. And <laughs> that's like a Tuesday, right? Yeah. On Friday, they're like, so you good? You good to go for tomorrow? He's like, you fucking kidding me? I've been walking around on crutches all week. I'm in a nice thing. They're like, yeah, we can take the crutches off. You'll be good. A little turtle or whatever. You'll be fine. Yeah. He's like, uh, no. But the next week? playing that's to me i'm just and and i'm amazed by it but that's so it, it's it's it does not sit right with me it, it it just straight up doesn't it's one if it's your career all right you make that decision fine you're making if you're of making dollars. money and i was like oh you're getting a scholarship you're getting a scholarship dude you can learn more on youtube now man than yeah. in a two hundred fifty thousand dollar three hundred thousand dollar uh bill from from a university couldn't agree more and and i assume you're completely in favor of some of the light legislation we've now gotten. It needs a lot more, but the early legislation here that says that college athletes can earn money on their individual oh, brand. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I'm all I'm all behind it. I know Cali and uh in Florida have stepped up, but it's the um name, image, and likeness. Um that they, what does that apply to? So like what's an example? I think it's all through on social, um and being able to promote brands, being able to promote companies, being able to generate money through your through your own YouTube, through your own Instagram, you know, through these social media platforms that you wouldn't notoriously be able to make any money off. You wouldn't even be able to take a ride from somebody. The NCAA wouldn't even let you take a ride from somebody. So say we were going out and we were going to a restaurant and some and and a friend's father or somebody wanted to like, hey, I'll drive you guys over there. Technically, you're not allowed to even jump in a car with somebody to take you somewhere. So the NCAA has made a lot of strides, probably not to their own liking, obviously, but they've had yeah. to adapt to the times yeah. where these kids, you couldn't get it. They wouldn't allow you. They wouldn't allow you to get the job. They wouldn't allow you to earn any money if you're if you're a uh, if you're an athlete, because think about athletics like 100 hours a week just to freaking just to play ball. I just thought of this one, though. I yeah. just thought of this one. Because hypothetically, an athlete could have, they could get a job on campus as a barista or something, but they have no time to do that. They don't have time to do that. And then as an, yes. You could be, they do that? From the from the football team at Syracuse, none of those guys had jobs. At, at Hofstra, there was a couple guys that worked for the school. You're right. But if like say if i was at syracuse at hofstra and i want to get a uh, a job at like a local car dealership like washing cars i don't think you were able to do that so all right i'm just thinking of this on my head I, I, i've never thought about this one but it seems like second nature now let's say i was a high school football player 3 years ago 4 years ago whatever yep and on the side i had a, a youtube channel in high school where I made money because I had over yeah. a thousand subscribers and whatever I did wasn't football, something else. This happened. You got to look it up. What? It was, it was a guy, I think it was in the UCF team. Um, did he have to shut down his channel had, to yeah, go there? Yeah. He had a YouTube channel, which he was making money on and the NCAA like told him either you got to shut down this channel or you can't be on the team. <laughs> That's, that is, um, 
I, I'm, I'm not going to drop a no, word on No, no, we don't. We, is... we, we all know what you're about, what you want to say, and it's, yeah. it's awful. It's awful. I think they're moving towards a better, a better yeah, solution yeah. here. I mean, because they have to. They have to. This is yeah. <laughs> they don't want to. I think you you said that they don't want to. No. I mean, think about the money they make. I've Jerseys, never looked at the contracts. Tickets. But... I mean, I mean, television deals, radio deals. I mean, it's just. You remember like the college football video games when they oh, were big, yeah. grown up, and it wasn't Reggie Bush; it was number five. Like what? But you know you're using Reggie Bush because he's got a 99 rating on everything, and it's number five, and he just won the fucking Heisman Trophy for USC. But Reggie Bush makes no money on that. Oh, and and guess what? You know how in December 2005 or 2006, whatever year it was, you remember how Reggie Bush went went on stage and and was elected the the Heisman Trophy winner on national TV and yeah. you know gave the speech. People were crying. You remember that? Didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. Yeah, it, it, you never saw that. It it didn't happen because because Reggie Bush took a couple dollars. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous! It's ridiculous. It, it it just it it, it it's pisses a, me off. It is. It, it I mean, but then I think about so many other things in life and how it's so backwards. And you're just yeah. like, how is this still working? How is this doing? Why? How is this happening? So and you think about football and you're like, I can see how it's happening in football. If it's happening in your everyday life on on different things that you come in contact with, or just like, you know, you're like, you just can't believe some of the things that went on that happened. I mean, so. If you say, "Hey, if it's going on in football, yeah, it's worse things that are going on," but it's it doesn't it's not it's not, it doesn't sit well with you. You're not like, "All right, this is cool." No, it's just just another thing you got to deal with when you're going through when you're going through life. And I'm sure there's so many different so many different aspects of um, of sports and how and how it relates. But I think there are moving in the right direction. Yeah. Where if you do sell a particular jersey, you uh, you can you can make some money off your of your own name. And anything off the field, you should be able to do. You should have complete control yeah, over that. Yeah, if you that. want to create your own merch, you want to do something, go ahead. And if you, you want to have what? your own YouTube channel. Exactly. Come on. Let's, let's go conservative and let's say stuff that is not tied to football. Yeah. Right? Which I think they should be able to do all of it. Let's be clear. Yeah. But like if you're going to start somewhere. If someone has like a streaming channel where they're a, they're a gamer and they're great at Call of Duty or Fortnite or something, that has nothing to do with the football field. They, they have every, that is theirs, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I can only imagine, only imagine the stories and instances you have, because we'll talk about it, but I think that's where we started this whole yeah. rabbit hole on this. But you've lived your life after college and, and in college around the best of the best and in the athlete circles. But even I, who have, has not done that, I've heard from some people who know some people or some people directly who you would, who are model citizens who did nothing wrong or whatever and even they took money in college and they're like yeah dude like of course and i'm like oh my god i hope that never gets out and at this point they're like i don't fucking care you know because it was years ago or or whatever but they're like of course we did i had nothing i worked a 65 hour a week job and i had nothing you think if some guy's like hey you know here's five g's and i'm making the school all this money i'm not gonna be like hey you know yeah actually that sounds great of course you're gonna do that there's nothing wrong with it. No, and believe me, I've had a lot of conversations with guys played at all different schools. Like, do you take it? Do you not take it? If you're in a position where your mom can't pay her rent, 
where your little sister and little brother are living in a house, you're yeah. taking it. And that and that's that's life. Like that one's legit. That is. Do you know uh, what I mean? Like yeah. you're taking it. If you're not, and you and you know what, you could do this, and you know what, things are all right. Of course, you don't want to put your you don't want to put yourself at risk. You want to put your family's self at risk. Your education at risk. Your future, your future um, endeavors at risk. So, shit. Yeah. All right. No. But if it's on the table, which it's on the table most of the time, you're gonna take the money. Yeah. So you you always stayed around the athlete circles because I guess after Hoster sh- shut down the program, you didn't transfer again. You called it quits. You know what? At that point, I was like, I lost so many credits in the same communications yeah. program from Syracuse to Hofstra. So it was only one semester. I, it was only that semester. So if I transferred again, I would have been in three schools technically within That's a lot. one semester. That's a lot. And it was like, all right, I'm going to be in school for another two years just taking the same classes that I already took. And I think I was a little burnt out at that point. You know, I was playing ball since I was two years old. Getting to, you know, when you're 20, when you're 21, 22, you're like, all right, I worked this hard, got a full scholarship. I got a year, le- a year and a half left mm. of school. Um, They're going to honor my scholarship. Do I take another scholarship? Because I had a few other places that wanted me to transfer and play there right away. But you had uh, a couple years of eligibility because you redshirted, I had two right? years of eligibility left. Okay, got it. So, and I probably could have had a, I probably could add some leeway with the, with the, with the punctured lung because I was out that whole year. So I could have got a medical red shirt. Um, but at that point I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to start focusing on, on my next, on what I want to do next. So I started taking a bunch of internships, was traveling, taking the LIRR into the city, saying finance, this, do I want to, what do I want to be involved in? What do I want to do? What do I like? Because that's the other thing when you're playing, when you're playing ball and then say you played for four years or five years, you had a good college career. All right. He's a good little player. He's got, you know, a thousand yards, this thing. You're not going to play in the league. You're not going to play. You're not, you're not, you're not going to the next level to play. So then you get out of school and you're like, all right, what am I going to do now? You don't have time to take an internship when you're playing ball. No. You don't. You don't have time to take an internship. 60-hour-a-week so, job. So more than that, way more than that. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to school and I'm going to I'm gonna start taking some internships and getting ready because – plus, I was always playing sports. When I was on the – when I was in second grade, I was on the fourth grade team. When I was in fourth grade, I was on the sixth grade. When I was in sixth, I was on the eighth. When I was – you know, always played up. So I had a lot of friends that were older than me over here. Mm. So everyone's out there making money. I'm still in school and now I'm not playing ball. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? You're thinking about the next month. I got to. I'm yeah. like, all right, now wait. And wait, they canceled the program. Like, I don't have, like, there's no choice. I'm not thinking about football anymore. That's no. the only thing I thought about between football and basketball for my whole life. And at that point, the football program's done. I'm not playing basketball in college. All right, what am I, like, that was my life was sports. So at that point, I'm like, you know what? Just going to. I'm gonna finish school here, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna take some take some internships and focus on what the heck I'm gonna do after school, and that's what I did, and then started started the uh, agency in 2011. Was it tough having the decision made for you? Like, what did that make it harder? Because it's not like in in a sense, yes, you made the final decision. Like, I'm I not gonna transfer yeah. again. Yeah. Like, I this is life, right? Like, this is too much for me. Like, I, I need to make make sure my focus is on education because you don't know with the next career or whatever. But 
you know, you didn't cancel the program. No. They they canceled the program. If if they hadn't canceled the program, you'd have still been playing. Oh yeah. And you know, you were in a big enough school and, and a great enough player coming from the D one level that you might have been able to do some damage and, and take it to the next level. And then suddenly like, nope, that's gone. So you're sitting there and you're like, Well, now they've made this situation so much harder for me. And, you know, this is a, again about my life and I can't if I go down this road again, I'm giving up a lot on the education side. I got to redo some stuff. I don't want to do this. And, and you know what? This is just a sign. I got to stop. But again, like you had to stop because someone else did something. Did that make it harder versus you just saying, hey, you know, it's not in me anymore. I, I want to go to my next phase of my life. Um, I don't know if it made it harder. It just made it real that it was over like I, it was just reality it's like all right if i'm not gonna go transfer go to another school another semester start all over again do you know it's tough starting like just going to another school transferring acclimating yourself to the school knowing where things are it's a fucking it's a pain in the ass yeah it's like people don't like change people don't you know but i would say if i didn't lose all those credits and i wasn't i wouldn't have been that far back from an academia standpoint i would have i think i would have continued but it was just that extra all right it's Schools don't want to transfer the credits. They want you to take the credits at the school that you're that you're attending. They don't want to transfer over freaking all your credits from, from the previous school. Yeah. yeah. So even at the same programs, they wouldn't transfer it over. Like, so I feel like from that standpoint and also knowing that like it wasn't really my decision, as you're saying, it wasn't my decision to stop playing. It was it was the controls, you know, yeah. bigger, you know, bigger powers than than I am that that put a stop to it. I couldn't watch college football for five years. Yeah. I couldn't even talk football. I couldn't. I didn't want to hear anything about football. I didn't want to even talk to, about football. But that's all I knew. So it was a very weird. Because I knew I could have been out there. I knew I could have been playing. And when you're watching college football, you can't even watch Saturdays. You can't talk about it. It's very emotional. My whole life is you work every day of your life to get to a point where you get this scholarship. And then, and then, as you said, it's taken away from you. Wait, not It's not your decision. It's their decision. Your whole life has to change. Your whole motivation, your mm. whole goal setting. And suddenly you don't have that. You don't have that one constant. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, and it's not, it's not like your body was given out or anything. You were in your peak. It's like, I, I can go play this better than anyone. So, you know, watching other people do what I love to do and knowing I can't do it anymore because I'm not in a situation where I have the opportunity to, that's hard, you know? Oh, it sucked. I mean, there's a lot of guys who, when they retire and they're done, you know, they You're say done. the same thing. They still can't watch it for several years because it they miss it you know it's like this this bond you have with it because you got you were at the top of the class of it you know never mind when exactly what you said never mind when you work your whole life for something and you're at like the peak of yeah your performance you're you know going to your junior year in college and then it's like nope there's no program here anymore <laughs> it's crazy no program what are we talking about <laughs> you wait, wait, wait i didn't even understand them like wait there's no football <laughs> team so just, so it's gone. It's gone. Like there's no there's no team here anymore. Like we're literally getting rid of it. It's weird. But e even if you couldn't do it anymore, you kept the and this is what you leverage to then jump off of to kind of like build yourself as having buzz around you and also being a guy who knows the guys, right? Mm -hmm. You 
kept that whole athlete community that you had built throughout your whole life who when they become successful and become pros and stuff obviously they get connected to everything mm-hmm. including stuff outside sports like you kept that all around you and as you were building up today's business for two three years there and starting with the nuts and bolts the basic content curation and and uh some of the stuff you talked about like man community management yeah. you know doing the blogging things, yeah you're yeah exactly so you're building up the the basic elements to get to you know more things like affiliate and start to seo and, and start to move into things that require more expertise or building your own tech like you were with affiliate at some point there you started integrating in the athletes so you started saying like hey now some of these guys who i grew up playing with or i played with at syracuse or i knew on the circuit you know even like you played with gronk in in high school at the yeah. american game stuff like that now they're successful let me go use what I use now to leverage to be able to help build them up and also build out through them. So that it seems like that started to happen maybe like 2013, 2014. I think I think you said that. Yep. Maybe you did. Yeah. But yeah, 2014 we started. Where did some... you start, basically? Like who did you have to start with? Obviously, you're not going straight to like the superstar. You know, you're no. unproven in the space. Like, how does it happen? How do you build the Rolodex? And we'll get to where your Rolodex went. Yeah, you start building your Rolodex with Backup linebackers, backup, <laughs> backup tight ends, backup uh, long snappers. You know, you you build your. It's like, and guess what? What are you doing? Oh, who, what other athletes do you work with? Oh, work with this guy. Work with this guy. Work with this guy. You're 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 literally talking to and working with, um, and doing pro bono work for then ath for then said athlete because you need clientele to work with from there. Mm. So. Uh, you know, a lot of people, it's that discussion about, do you do some pro bono work? Do you do things for free and then give people things for free when you know it's worth something and you know how much time you're putting into it? Yeah, it, you have to. I mean, at that you, you have to. How, how do you get expertise and how do you get experience without working on these athletes when they're like, all right, what athletes have you worked with? Nobody. No, you have to do friggin' pro bono work. And then these athletes and entertainers and influencers, you know, they don't want to, well, they talk and tell everyone you know, oh, this is my guy. This is who's, who's who's doing this for me, and then you build up your network through through doing good work by people. But so you go from like the long snapper to the linebacker, or something the, like yeah, that. Yeah, to like the starter. Kinda, then yeah. you go from this from the linebacker who has fifty thousand followers to the wideout who has two hundred thousand followers, mm-hmm. and then you go from the from the wideout to to the to the top. 10 guys in the league. Then you go to some, then you get into the hall of famers mm. and you're like, Oh wow. Now I'm working with some prominent guys that not that everyone knows in America that everyone knows internationally. And that's pretty cool. When you're like, when you walk into places and you know that like, all right, if someone doesn't know my clients, then they're not, <laughs> they're not in, the, they're not for us. <laughs> We're not working with them. So like, who are some of the guys you ended up working with? So a couple of the big uh, big boys that we started working with towards uh, probably 2017, 2018 was Kevin Garnett, Ray Lewis, mm. um, a couple of like the big Hall of Famers that, hey, if you say, hey, who's the greatest linebacker in NFL history? LT, Ray Lou. Who you also work with. Derek Brooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was smoking a Lucia last night. LT, baby. I love that he loves Lucia's. So yeah. That's great. Your, yeah. your dad was on that right away. Yeah, Lawrence, you gotta try this. <laughs> You're gonna love it. But yeah, so you, but Garnett was, he was technically a business partner too, right? Yeah. So he wasn't just a client. He wasn't brought him just, into today's athletes. Brought him into today's athletes as a partner, 
and then he opened up, you know, like like KG has an unbelievable network of guys. So he opened up a ton of doors with, you know, KP, with, uh, you know, Rondo, Big Baby, you know, his <laughs> his crew, you know, yeah. his guys. Yeah. So, you know, he and he's, you know, arguably one of the biggest, most competitive guys in the world at his sport. I mean, when you're, you're going, you're an MVP, you're a final, you know, NBA champion, you're an all-star game MVP. Jordan's last all-star game, KG's the MVP. You made like 15 of them too. He's on a lot of all-star teams. So it's, uh, it's really unique, but you know what? You do good work by, by people. They refer to you other good people. And you want to you keep building that network. That's the same thing in business, same thing with the athletes, the same thing in life. And I think that's, that's really – that's just a recipe. And it, as, <laughs> as you move up, you're not doing pro bono work. You start no. out with that and then it gets to the, okay, you know, eat what you kill. You bring in deals, you get 20% or whatever the industry rate is on the backside pretty mm-hmm. much, right? Yep. So you did that and then you would do like the personal branding, so content creation, branding, any press ad kits. decisions – ads events we uh help run the ray lewis uh hall of fame event in la put all that together all the creatives some other marketing mm. material uh the guest list i mean it was unbelievable who i'm even you know rubbing shoulders with at that yeah. at that event man it's it's uh it's pretty cool that you could be in those circles but then not be too uh you know not too fanboy but at the same time you know you're Cause you feel like, you know, I feel like I'm at that level when I really never, I'm not, a, I'm not even playing the <laughs> yeah, league, bro. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> who am I? I played a couple yeah. years in, uh, played a couple years in college ball. Um, it gives you credibility though. You do you have know? a sense of credibility yeah. playing college ball, but you know, with those guys, when you're hall of famer and stuff like that, it's like, it's the next level. Oh yeah. And I'm not saying it's anywhere no. near that stratosphere, but as far as like, you got some credibility. Yeah. You're doing business with them and they're trying to find commonalities and stuff. And they're like, oh, this guy. You know, he played D1 ball. Yeah. Okay. Like, he kind of gets it. Yeah. Or he he played with this guy or knows that guy. Okay, cool. And then they'll kind of talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. hey, people want to work with people that they like and that they can trust. You cover those two bases, you're pretty much, you're pretty much good, man. You just got to, you got to be likable. You got to be able to tell them how it is in a way that they could respond to it. And they see that you want the best for them. Mm. You know what I mean? You could tell somebody one thing and they just negatively it's just the response that you get from that person but you could you know in a way is it's all about how you say it and how you deliver it at the same time you have to be real with these guys but you have to you have to deliver good news bad news whatever it may be because there's a lot of communication so communication is so important with with all these guys and being able to you know and have their and have their teams trust you it's not just them they could trust you but then their manager their lawyer their sister their pr person their their you know whole team's got to really be on board with you in order to to get some of these deals done does that make it a lot harder though when there's a million people around because you know these guys are huge right they have well, everyone I mean. coming to them you have so many you have a you have a person for everything and um it does make it harder but if you're if you've established those relationships with those individuals, I think mm. it also makes it easier because they have familiarity, they have respect for you, they know what you do, they know what you, you what you bring to the table and the expertise you bring. So it's like, all right, now I got four people. Now it puts pressure on the athlete or the entertainer to be like, oh shit, I got four people all being like, you should do this. 
Yeah. You should probably do it then. Well, the the other thing is that whole industry gets a and frankly, fairly in a lot of cases, gets a bad rap because there's a lot of sleaze balls. You look around like athlete management or like just athlete marketing and stuff like that. There are a lot of people just looking to be a star fucker, putting their hand in somebody's pocket, and that's where you hear these stories about so and so stole money or, you know, fuck somebody over. And that's the unfortunate thing because these guys, their lives are, you know, they have a limited window to be great. And their lives are, that's what they do, right? They don't have time to sit there and figure, not everyone's Juju Smith-Schuster, like you said earlier. You know, they're not, and he gets shit for that, you know, sitting there making their creative or being creative in the first place. Like, they they have a job to do, and they have an ability for a short time to leverage said job off the field to make money. Mm -hmm. And so when you see all these guys who are constantly taking the Instagram with somebody just to show that they're, like, in their circle and shit, you know, I've found that, any of the athletes I've ever been around, they have a huge – and credit to them. They have a huge radar on that. Like they are very unlikely to trust you or like let you in over a long – and you know it takes a long period of time because they've seen plenty of their friends get fucked over by people. And so when you're going in there and first establishing relationships, you know, you're going in there with, with, a, with a Kevin or a Ray, like tops of the top, and they already have all these people around them. You know, is it you making the relationships with all those other people, like you said, that kind of gets them, the athlete, to be like, okay, my people think this guy's cool, so he's cool? Or, you know, how much of it is like you one-on-one just kind of looking them in the eyes and them being like, all right, I, I trust this guy? Both. It's both. 100%. Mm. It's both. You got to build that community of, of uh, was it evangelist? Yeah, yeah. You have to build that community of people that trust you that, that like, dude, I'll fuck with this guy no matter what the fuck he brings to the table. And then you got to look at that that athlete or the entertainer in the face and be like, all right, I trust him too. Because if that athlete doesn't trust you, it doesn't matter if there's people around him. But if there's people around him and he trusts those people and they trust you, you got some wiggle. You got some room. You got some room to work with. So I think, you know, these guys have all been burned. Yeah. As you get as you get older in life, you're gonna get burned. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. Friends, family, you know, it's just business, freaking whatever you're gonna get into, and someone's gonna let you down, and someone's gonna burn you in some way. But you just gotta you gotta be you gotta really look at it from a perspective that you know what I'm blessed this happened to me. It did happen this time, and you know what? I'm going to become a better person. Maybe I'm going to trust a little less. Maybe I'm going to do more due diligence on this person before doing business with them. You know, you're just, you just become more seasoned as a business person, as a connector. And, and you kind of go through life where it's, uh, you know, you still want to have an open mind and an open heart, but you also want to, you know, uh, you also want to be somewhat guarded in what you're doing. Mm. You're not going to be so naive and so trusting to everybody. And that's kind of, you know, what I went through. You know, you go through some struggles, you go through some hard times, you do some, you know, you have some breakups. Well, guess what? It just makes you, makes you um, also appreciate the good people that you, that you surround yourself with and the individuals that you, that you truly want to fuck with because it's a, uh, because it's, those are not commodities. Those are rarities. Those are those are really, you know, and I've met probably, dude, I've had 
one point it was like five, six meetings a day for 10 years. Thousands and thousands of people I've had. We talk about that internship program, probably had 450 interns look up to you as a mentor. And you guys had a lot of employees too. Yeah. At one point we had 50. Yeah. Wow. So it was, you know, there's a lot of people looking up to you. There's a lot of people that, that, that are looking for you for help and mentorship. So I think from that perspective, you you want to it's like you don't want to give them this fairy tale world that this is like oh this is great you know no one's gonna ever screw you or, or fuck you or burn you but at the same time like you have to kind of give them the hard truth on on what on what's gonna happen how to deal with it and just keep moving forward you got to keep moving forward i would you know that's and just keep hey but it, it you know as a young person being um what is it blissfully ignorant yeah unaware I, ignorant, yeah unaware and, you know i dude yep. i knew football and basketball my whole life my dad taught me to be a good person but i didn't know a lot about business you know i knew some mm. about business i didn't know a lot about business i learned a lot as we created the businesses as we did the businesses and as we you know did business with all different types of vendors all different types of partners referral partners and mm. all these different types of entertainers athletes influencers so i learned a lot by doing it there's a difference when everyone's like on the team when you're playing the sport right like you all have that common goal there might be okay you're a wide receiver they're linebackers like they have a little bit of obviously like they have their position room you have yours but you're all kind of part of the same thing but Mm -hmm. i think that's really important what you bring up when you get into business and you have all these moving pieces that are their own islands outside of what you do that you may not even have a close relationship you just need right you have this vendor that handles this thing that you rely on like oxygen every day and then if they fuck up well that's a problem and shit we haven't even talked with them in three years you know it's to your point like we always like to make sports parallel with things and parallel with business and it is don't get me wrong but there are enormous differences that you can only learn once you do it you know what i think you're absolutely right and you don't really think about too much but it's like kind of like if you're a business owner and you outsource one one service line of your business, that's kind of like having your offensive coordinator not in not in your own facility. Yeah. It's kind of having your defensive coordinator, you know, not not at your not at not, not at your home field when you're when you're calling defensive plays. You're like, all right, well, this is our partner over there. We got to make sure that they're going to execute the same way that we're pitching this. And so, you were learning your products coming yeah, in there too. You were and like, trying oh, to figure out the industry. What are we like, going to do? What the hell? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> that is awesome. So it was so much fun. Awesome learning the whole digital um, landscape, being able to really you know the nuances behind it, the programs that you use, not to use, the people to to work with. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. The last ten years, just going through everything, I. People say, I, I mean, what what did I learn in college, though? I don't know. I learned how to, you know, network a little bit. But my dad's been teaching me how to network since I was born out of the womb. You know what I mean? Like, met good people. Definitely friends forever. So I think that uh, that certain things, I just don't know what I learned there that has applied to me being uh, like a successful, you know, business person. Not that I was at college with you or know it, you really studied or what it was like in the classroom, but just like blind look and seeing what you've done and how you've done it. You didn't need a day at college because every, everything that you've done in your entire career is always like new school stuff. So it's things that are in the ether and things that are kind of in culture that you learn hands-on. They're not, well, now they do, but you know, they're not teaching 
social media courses at college until a few years ago, yeah. long after you were gone, right? Oh, yeah. And then to your point, you were connecting your whole life. You had the best example of all time, your dad. And that just carried right over. You didn't need to go to college to know how to do that. You, you were doing that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of arguments now, like what is the worth? And especially as people paying like 200, 300 grand for <laughs> four years of school. Oh, and me. it's a prime example because everything you did was experiential. It was like, oh, well, we fucked that one up or, oh, we got that one right. Let's do that again, you know? And then like, oh, oh, so that's how that works with business, you know? And, and I don't want to shit on education or anything, but there has to be, we have to come up with some kind of balance here where it's like, well, okay, the people, like people who are going to be doctors, yeah, they need medical school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are going to be lawyers. Yeah. You know, I, I think they should probably go to law school, right? Of course. There's some yeah. obvious ones, but then there's a lot of gray area where we got to be like, well, what are we really applying here? Like I could see people in, in the creatives who are – or maybe go to film school and stuff like that mm -hmm. and they learn a lot there, right? They learn from great directors oh, yes. and shit. But you know, what what was a communications major doing for you that's, to do this? That's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. And then when you're coming out of school making forty, fifty thousand and you have two hundred plus in debt. I don't know. It just it seems a little backwards in the, the arena that I'm in, in the digital, in that world, social marketing, digital marketing, like you weren't, you weren't learning about this in school, especially at the time. Now, I think there is some courses over the last few years, but in that space, it's like, what did I just pay 200, $300,000? What did I get at? Like, you always want to look at your ROI. If you're, if you're spending money on on digital ads, it's like, what's my, ro my my return on ad spend? What's what's my return on investment? What's my return on investment? That's literally like all you hear about when you get into business because when you're talking to people, all right, what am I going to get out of this? All right, well, you know what? We're going to you know build this website for you. Then we're going to create some other lead pages. Then we're going to you know run some advertising, run them through the funnels. You know, like okay, but that's the ROI. What do you what what do you get from from school or communications programs, what you're going to get an ROI coming out of school right now. It's not a positive ROI for 10 plus years. And what is it? Time mm -hmm. Time is the most valuable asset? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's pretty scary. It is. It <laughs> is. But I, I, I appreciate what you said a couple minutes ago a lot because I think that's a great perspective to look on things where you talk about, hey, these, these 10 years taught me a lot and it's been a hell of a ride. I'm you said something like that and you know talk about being burnt as well and the difficulties you've insinuated about when you're breaking up a business especially when you founded it with people and it was your baby and and you took it took it from the basement literally <laughs> to into a multi 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 million dollar business working with hall of famers and and on all these fronts i mean it's a hell of a story and it makes it all the more harder to leave that. And I, I want to get to that and talk about that. What I will say as a note, you know, you and I obviously talk all the time. We've been waiting to have you in here until this was all legally finished and everything naturally. And finally it got done. And so we can talk. So, you know, so far this has been a great conversation and we're going all over the place. I love it. We're probably going to be talking for a while longer. So 
I don't know where I'm going to pick up the beginning of this podcast, so I, I don't want to repeat anything. I'm just thinking out loud right now. My guess is we'll probably, I don't know, we'll, we'll see where it picks up. So some of the context here, in case it was not at the very beginning where I know we mentioned some stuff because we were talking for a long time, you know, th- this was 10 years, I believe, like nine, 10 years you had this, and you started the process to leave about a year and a half ago, and again very successful that's that's not the issue making great money over there and and working with some with some crazy people but what was the motivating factor you know turning 30 and going hey i built this great thing i have all these things going but this ain't it i i got to go and and do something else for myself here i think um lack of alignment on 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 vision moving forward mm-hmm. because did we have a vision when we first started no no it was just like shit we gotta let's sign some clients let's make some money let's just like let's get out of my parents basement like i'm looking to let's get an apartment let's get survive <laughs> let's survive yeah. yeah like i gotta prove to my parents that like i don't need to go get a nine to five like i could i can make it on my own without without getting a job and being able to move out you know so uh lack of lack of continuity on the vision moving forward i think was the ultimate factor is that you know you have to be on the same page with with your partners and your individuals that you uh that you start something with mm-hmm. and i think after that long period of time we had an amazing run um but i think at that point it was an inflection point of like okay where are we going we're going this way we're taking the, the path to the left we're taking the path to the right you know, where, where are we really going with this? And we just weren't on the same page. And if you're not on the same page, how, you know, if, you know, it's like, all right, if you're the head coach, then you have your, exactly. We're going to keep going back to football, basketball, whatever. Great analogy for this. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're an, if you're a head coach, but your offensive coordinator is going one way, your defensive coordinator is going the other way, or you have a co-head coach. And you guys just aren't on the same page. Are we going to, you said it, are we going to be a run and shoot team or are we going to go West Coast? Do we have a running back that's going to be a bruiser like a Fournette or do we have, you know, I don't know why I'm saying Cadillac Williams, but I love Cadillac Williams. (laughs) And they both played on Tampa, totally different, maybe in different decades. Um, But, you know, it's like, how are you going to play? Are you going to play fast pace? Are we, you know, it's it's at a basketball team, you know, love basketball probably just as much as football, if not more, are we going to play fast? We're going to play slow. Who's our, who, do we have a good center? Are we going to throw it into the post a lot, like an Embiid? Or are we going to, are we going to be more of like the Warriors and we're going to be able to, you know, be able to move and shake and be able mm-hmm. to, you know, really kind of shoot the three ball a little bit uh, better than, you know, we don't really have that guy that we could throw to in the post and he could do it, you know, and he could go one-on-one for us and then be able to make decisions from the post there you got to play differently and unfortunately the visions were just going different directions where it was best that we went in our separate directions what was what was your vision like what and Um, and that's a loaded question yeah um i would say the vision i said i really wanted to go more towards the video route i think that's where things are going I think that's where, you know, content is really, um, content is being consumed through video. Um, I, I still love the athlete space. So I really want to go through video, multimedia, podcasting, 
and really put like a hundred percent of my back hundred percent into that into that space into like a nice uh, a cool pub where you're putting out good good uh good content true content true, creation. true content yeah. creation that's really where i felt that our brand needed to to kind of go down that route um but you know the partners really didn't weren't feeling that feeling that uh feeling that space they didn't didn't believe in video didn't believe in kind of uh where where i thought things were going right and and i know that's like a kind of a generalization but i understand exactly what you mean there's like how are you are you a production house are you are are you a content creation place or are you you know or are you still with you know all from the s you know and i believe me the seo is a core part of the business social is a core part of the business i felt that we could have incorporated pretty much everything Mm, with with a video production component because we're we're we're, we still have probably 30 percent of our clients are doing social with us and being able to create that multimedia push it out through their social push it out through their their channels build up our own asset and I talk about this all the time with different athletes, influencers, stuff like that. Like when you're building up an Instagram page or you're building up your Facebook page, it's fantastic. I think it's, believe me, that you need to utilize those platforms. Mm. But if you're going to continue to build on those platforms and not build on your own assets, whereas like your own website, your email list, your phone, your contact list, those things, huge. as you move – so you're going to go from, okay, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Okay, Twitter's out now. Okay, now I have to go to Instagram. Now I have to go to Pinterest. Now there was Tumblr along the way. There was, you know, Reddit communities. There's all these different communities, TikTok communities now. And now I'm on Clubhouse. Great. Use all of those to continue to build your database of owned assets where you could drive them to your site, similar to what you're doing here with Trendifier, and being able to own those assets and say, hey, if I send an email out to a million people, we're going to we're going to see a lot more to that million people than if i had a million followers on on twitter right now don't spread yourself too thin yeah th- dude i as music to my ears listening to that because especially like the influencers they don't and and the athletes too let's just throw them in there they don't think about this they're like oh yeah you know i have my x amount of followers on instagram that's what i love well what what if what if people move off that platform what what if you get kicked off that platform i mean who the fuck knows these days right you know it, you don't have that I heard Mark Cuban talking about this a few months ago with um, Bryce Hall on on a podcast. The Anthony Pompliano and Bryce Hall like have a podcast yeah. where they bring on people to teach Bryce about business because he's like twenty years old and, or twenty one and like this influencer on TikTok and Instagram and everything. And Mark Cuban was telling Bryce, he's like, you know, what's your email list like? And Bryce is like. I mean, you know, the kid's 21. He just built all these millions of followers. Not his fault or anything, but he was like, you know, I got a little one or whatever. And Mark's like, well, listen, I would make sure I built that up because you can take that anywhere. And yep. then you can get people to come wherever you're going to go. Because if you get off these platforms or like they suddenly aren't there, you're you're done. You, you Those people, they don't know where to find you. They're not going to go out of their way to do it because they got other people. You know, they got a lot of clutter in their life. And I'd, I'd never heard it put that simply. And I was like, damn, no, that's actually, that's more important than ever now. Yeah, he's spot on. So that's where I saw the vision going is that we need to create our owned assets. And I built, I, I, I thought the best way to create our owned assets was to have this production where we could do a lot of production for ourselves, but then also sell that to 
the athletes, the influencers, the brands. And then we could be like, okay, come, come to our studio. We'll bring in said athlete. Here's said product. Boom. And you could really, then you could go to that brand and be like, Hey, we have this content. How much would you, what would you guys pay for that content? Oh, you'd pay three grand for that content. Okay. Done. It's already, it's already been shot. You're selling things and you don't need to, all right, we have to set up this. We need to pay, you know, but because we had those relationships, you can't do that without those relationships. You can't do that without the space. We had over 5,000 square feet of space that we, that we, we can use. You know what I mean? That's where I think things were really going and we could have been kind of trailblazers um, by doing that. You saw yourself as having built inroads in some of the hardest places to build inroads and the star power around that and the Absolutely. value you were adding there and saying, we can capitalize for our guys and then they're going to want their guys for us to have provide the same type of service and be able to do it in a way where we're not just going at the commoditized things like SEO or, I mean, this is what it is. SEO is a commodity. There's, There's a, a million, lot of SEO people out there. There's a million SEO people. Yeah. And, and look, there are there a million athlete and influencer marketers out there yeah sure how many of them get into the circles you got in and then also the key differentiating factor the the intuition and creativity mm -hmm. and also to put on top of it what you did which is understanding exactly the things outside of that that are important and organizing it to make sure that like hey kevin garnett ray lewis what's your email list like What's your, what is your newsletter list like? Uh, okay, have you thought about doing X type of content that, that, that could then generate these people for you to get eyeballs on and own that asset forever so that no matter where you have to go, you now have it? That's, that's a good vision, man. Access. Mm, that's the word. I think we f had a, uh, you know, we failed at executing on the access that took us 10 years to build. And I think that was something that was really tough for me to, to swallow because you do so much pro bono work. You do so many different things throughout the years and so many little things that nobody sees. All those little things that you're running around doing this or doing that, no one sees it. And I felt like there was a failure to, to execute on an opportunity with the access that, that we had at that time. And I think that was the... You know, we just didn't have the same vision, man. It's tough because when, when you're 22 and you don't even have a business, that, you don't even know what your business needs to be and you're trying to put food on the table. Like, oh, all right, yeah. how are we going to survive? You, you can't really know. And it's not like you guys did something wrong with that. You were just responding to the times like, oh, shit, you know, college is over. Like, we got to do something with our lives, right? And you're figuring it out. But it's so important as you go in business that the communication is constantly there. And you are constantly, as new things come up and new opportunities come up, you're constantly having the conversation around direction. Because the farther along you get, and the bigger you get, the more money that's coming in, the more difficult it is to leave, the more difficult it is to split, the more difficult it gets to make the decision to be like, yo, this isn't right. And I think, you know, having a front row seat to your whole situation and then you ending up having to leave there and the divorce that that was which you know you can get into as much of that as you want to or not as much of that as you want to whatever um i'll, I'll respect it either way you don't have to say anything here yeah. that you're not comfortable with but you know getting to that point it, it took a long time it took a long time to accept it too and then you're so 
I mean, and there's a lot of money coming in too. You're so deep that it gets hard to just be like, oh, I got to make this decision and go. Yeah, at that point, you're not you're not 22 anymore, and you don't have yeah you, you have a wife, uh-huh. you, you have bills. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's it's there's a lot of decisions that need to be made that go into it. But you know what? When, when you think about it, what's the ultimate? What's the ultimate decision? Happiness. So if you're not really happy in what you're doing because, you know, there's a divide in the vision of where you want to take the business, then you just have to be like, you know what, I just want to, all right, you know what, I just need to, I want to be happy. And you have discussions about it. You have discussions with your partners and communicate that to your partners saying, you know what, I'm just not really, not really happy where things are going. What can we do? How can we make things better? How, you know, you have to address those things. You have to bring them to the forefront. You're not going to hide them like a little child and freaking pant and scream and cry and shit like that. No, you have to fucking have hard conversations. And those are the things that you have to do and you have to learn how to do. So I think that also, you know, you, you, through, through tough times, you just learn that you have to do certain things that you just you're not you're not really comfortable doing. Do I want to confront my partner on this? Do I want to talk about this? Is this the right time to talk about it? We just got out of a meeting where, you know, we lost a client or or we gained a big client. Is this the time to bring up something that I'm not happy about when you just signed a twenty thousand dollar a month client? Right. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> what do you mean things aren't going good? <laughs> There's money. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think. Ultimately, you just got to be, you got to be happy in what you're doing. You got to, you got to feel a sense of accomplishment on a daily, on a daily basis. I think that's something with me that I, like on a day-to-day basis, if I'm not accomplishing something, I, you know, you're hard on yourself. And that's, I think any good business guy, any good salesperson, any good entrepreneur, if they're not upset that they didn't accomplish more that day, they're just like, oh shit, I did great today. All right, I'm good. That might be if you're in a nine to five, or you're some you're you're somewhere where you're you're not striving to take to take it somewhere, or the or what's the next step, or what's the next level, or what's the next milestone I'm gonna hit. Then maybe you're content with some things, but as an entrepreneur and as a you know somebody who's you know you're gonna own your own business, you're gonna start your own page on Instagram, you're gonna do that. Like you're like, all right, well I gained two hundred followers today. All right, well guess what? I'm getting four hundred tomorrow. All right, I need X amount of interactions. I need X amount of views on my sure. on my podcast. There's milestones and there's things and it never stops. I know, you know, as I as I talk to you and uh on a day-to-day basis as a, a very close friend, like I'm like, "Oh shit, like this motherfucker doesn't stop. 7 days a week, you don't even know what day it is." You're like, "All right, wait, what's today? Oh, it's Wednesday or Thursday." Because you're so locked in. There's so many edits you have to perform. There's so many hours it goes into watching this three-hour podcast that you're making edits, you're looking at, you're evaluating, you're under like there it's endless amount of time. Endless amount of time that goes into what you built here is this awesome community of people coming on your coming on your show to talk to you about the most intimate things in their life, their business, their work, their personal life. So I think from from somebody who who just wants to always, you know, do better or get better every single day, you're you're never satisfied. I don't know. I'm just you know, you make a couple of deals, you sign a couple of things. Great. It lasts for like a couple hours, you know, for me personally, for me personally, it's like, okay, you just got, you just got a deal done or, uh, working with a client. Okay. I'm happy about it, but I'm not like, oh man, I could just, 
all right, I could relax now. I don't know, maybe another few years as I get Servino Co. really built up and I'm like, ah, yeah, this is nice. I I doubt it though. You know what though? This is important though because you're experiencing this now too because you, it's yours, right? Like it's got your name on it. You're yeah. the decision maker. You have the flexibility and everything. And you were just making the point about my podcast. That's the, the lucky thing I had with this too. There's not cooks in the kitchen here. Mm-hmm. The only person that needs the vision technically is, is me. And then obviously I want my guests to believe in it too, right? Yeah. But, you know, they're one by one. There, there's a lot of them coming in. So at the end of the day, the, the decisions are on me and the fuck-ups, the, the things that go right, it's, it's on me. So I at least have that and I don't have the stress of thinking about – does this person completely agree with this decision I'm going to make or this direction I want to take stuff? You know, you didn't have that luxury. That's in, a day in your to last day. That's a day to day with like fifty decisions every single day that yep. you're making. Yep. And it doesn't. It's it's not even big decisions. It's like, all right, yeah. what do we? Or, what food are we ordering for the holiday party? Well, if that was a legit problem, then. That was a sign right there. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, if you were deciding on on if you were fighting over what you're ordering in food in the office, I mean, like that's kind of yeah. it right there. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like that specifically, but yes, it's there's so many decisions, and if you're not on the same page, if you're not don't have the same vision on the overall vision on things, then yeah, it's it's going to be hard to get through even some of those day to day questions that that go on decisions that you have to make. Now, when you went to leave there, though, you know, obviously, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how long that was brewing or what your thought process was, but you talk about this lack of alignment. Did you try to get them on the same page as you or come to their page a little bit? Like, did you try to communicate that over a period of time or was it kind of like, hey, I see this is just going in a different direction, so I'm out of I think I tried to communicate as much as I could that I wasn't happy where things were or I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't on the same page as the guys. Mm. And, um, I think I made that clear quite a few times. We had some really, some long heart to hearts, you know, train up to Boston, train back. Like we had some serious, like, like sessions where we're just trying to figure out some common ground, trying to figure out how we could move forward and, um, you know, I think there was a lot of discussions about it. And unfortunately, we just couldn't get on the same page. I mean, all right, I'm going to try this. You're going to try this. Let's see if we can make it work. Okay. In order, like, it's either, it's either this, this is a, like, you have to, there's a couple different things that were like drawn in the sand. We're like, okay, you know, we could, there, there's, there's different things that we could do to make it work. And then there is like, this is a make or break. Either this changes or I'm out. And I pretty much said that a few times on multiple discussions about it. And ultimately, we're trying to do what's best for the business and for all of us. If I'm unhappy, that's not good for the business. That's not what's best for the business. And that's and if if my partners are unhappy, that's not what's best for the business too. We wanted at the end of the day, we're always I think that's what good partners do. That's what good businessmen do is that they never put themselves before the business. So, um, and their own personal matters before the business. Uh, it does get harder as you get older because you have a lot of personal responsibilities as you get older rather than when you're 21 starting a business out and what personal responsibilities you have at 21. There wasn't, it was, 
how do we make some money so we can move out of our out of our parents' house? Um, so I think we had a ton of discussions and we just couldn't we couldn't agree. We couldn't agree on where to move forward, on who to move forward with. Um, you know, dis- disagreements with um, management, different agreement with style. You know, just a mm. lot of different things that you know. You just you're a different person when you're 22 rather than 32. Yeah, it's pretty you, interesting. You get older, and you're freaking. You know, there's different factors too. People are married. You know, you're, everyone's wife has their opinion on different things. Mm. Everyone's uh, parents then have more opinions on things when you're younger. And you're 21, 22. You're like, ma, let me just figure this out. Fuck it, we're just going. Yeah. When you get older, there's there's so many different factors. You have different mentors that you've leaned on for years. There's different people that you that you look to for for help and and advice. And everyone's given every partner maybe different advice and it's not it's not a bad thing but everyone's trying to you know do what's best for the business but then also keep their personal agendas at bay yet like their personal agendas are important as well like you want them to be personally happy and and feel personally successful at the same time that the business is successful so dealing with a lot of um uh personalities um and i i think that is that's just about as hard as as about anything, you know. Signing a client can be, you know, um, pretty easy in some respects, rather than you know just being on the same page with the people that you do business with every day. Once you sign them, what do you do? That that whole situation, like, well, what are what are the services we're providing? What are we looking to do long term? Yeah, I I love that you bring up alignment as the main thing because unfortunately, you know that that is what leads to people going their separate ways and all the things that can come with that, the behind the scenes, the drama, the the difficulty, the breakup, the divorce that it is. But you, it's not like you were doing anything wrong coming out because as we said now, like six times, you had to put food on the table and then you had to you had to find your way into it. But you know. It takes a lot of balls to get to that point and then hit the button and and move on. And for you, I felt like from the outside, you know, kind of watching this unfold, which you don't expect that to ever be coming. I would have never, you know, three uh-huh. three years ago, I would have never seen that coming for you. What you guys were building was fucking unbelievable. But you, you never know what's going on back there. So for you, it, it seems like to me, you look at business as relationships. You look at business as before I figure out what I'm going to do for you or what you're going to do for me, do we fuck with each other on a personal level? And are we do we have our best interests at heart, right? So whether that be forming a relationship with a CEO or an athlete, it's the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm I've always been in awe of that for how you do it and how effectively you do it and how people from all different backgrounds before they even know what you can do want to do business with you like jazz just figure something out I'm in you know and and that's hard because then you can spread yourself thin mm-hmm. and so now I see you coming out with Servino Co which we might have talked about that we've been talking all goddamn day we might have talked know. about that at the beginning it's probably not on this podcast because that was hours ago um when we were just like <laughs> bullshitting but if it is sorry for the repeat like you know with Servino Co you're you're coming out here and it's it's yours like we talked about it's you're the one making the decision and you're also coming at it from like a consultant realm so what what are some of the things you're looking to do right now and and how's it set up in in your mind at at this this new beautiful birth of a company yeah i think you know it's different 
it's a lot different than having an agency that you've had that I've had before, just in terms of that. If you sold certain things at one point that you weren't selling before, you could then dictate or, or talk, you know, tell your team internally, this is what we have to do for this particular client. So it's a little bit different that I need to have my team behind me, the the subcontractors, the individuals that will be handling a lot of the day to day. I need to be strictly, you know, very aligned with them. So I it, the the Servino Co is on my name, but I will also be doing business with a lot of other businesses um, in terms of getting a lot of the work done. And to do that, that's where my ten years experience comes in. Is that I vetted the process. I vetted the process. I know what vendors to go to for the for for what and what their expertise is. What's their bandwidth? What, what they can handle? What they can't handle? Um, and I think that is a little bit different than than how it was than how, how I structured it. More of the old school way at today's business was okay. We have you know thirty employees. Yep. They all have four hundred one ks, health benefits, the whole deal. Um, now it is is more on that I have, yeah, you're putting the pieces and you're, you're aligning them with the right individuals. I think uh, when you have an agency like that and you have so much overhead that you tend to either turn away business that uh, doesn't fit for that, mm, yeah, for the individuals and the yep. services that you provide, or you're kind of sticking a, a round peg in a, in a square hole and you're kind of shoving it in there. And sometimes that works. Sometimes you shove it in there and it works for a few months or six months. So that does happen. Um, but it also tends that you, you know, you ruin some relationships because it, it's not a perfect fit. Yeah. And you're never all going to, we always have perfect fits. No, what's perfect. You know, you always have to mold and, and be kind of that, that Play-Doh where you're working in different, in different molds and different people. So I think, now we're I'm in a point where I sit down and consult with an individual or a business, an entrepreneur or an athlete, and I'm like, okay, this is the plan, this is the strategy, set it up for them, and then be able to align them with the right individual or company that I think would work best for them. And and that's where I think it's a little bit different and where the consulting aspect comes into play because they're hiring me to to be their quarterback, which yep. going back to my high school days, yep. play quarterback. So I'm being, I'm being the QB and pretty much they're coming to me and say, Hey, this is what we need to do from a, from a social perspective. Or, you know what, what these, this is the challenges that I'm facing based upon the challenges that they're facing. Then I could provide them a solution that I think works for them. Or, you know what, I might have amazing, great contacts all over the field and this, but still might not be aligned. And that's something that I'll be, you know, have to communicate to the client that this, you know, maybe, you know, my services right now at where I'm at in, you know, you know, first Q1 to 2020 just doesn't fit the needs that they're looking for. Yeah, you're you're the moat now. You're you're the you're the decision maker for these guys. And I know what we're thinking about and what the listeners might be thinking about based on what they know about you off the top of their head is is a lot of the high profile individuals, which naturally, you know, that's that's kind of the main thing you're doing. And mm -hmm. the number of those relationships you have both that have been known publicly and a lot privately is pretty absurd. So leveraging that to now have the credibility to be that guy who, yeah, you're not the guy building this or, or doing that. You are getting them to the people who do it and being their manager, like a true manager and not, you know, just being a control freak on everything and having it inside. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, look, 
what you built there and creating all those jobs and doing that business model is amazing and it's commendable. But it also, to your point, you know, round peg in a square hole, square peg in a round hole, whatever the fuck it is. Whatever one of them, you know, like you are, you're essentially then putting yourself into, well, this is where we are. And then the conversation about outsourcing things gets harder too. Cause it's like, well, what can we do in here? You know? So for you to now have the flexibility, I, I don't know how much, it, if, if you heard it, Naval Ravikant at all, who's, um, he's prominent out in Silicon Valley, he founded angellist.com. Mm-hmm. Brilliant guy. Yeah. You know, one of his main things is that most companies, great companies that are in this upcoming era now, if they're not creating a product that changes the world, right? Like some kind of crazy tech product or some sort of, you know, something that people buy and actually use and it's more consulting and stuff like that. The best companies, the most powerful people are going to run tight and thin. They're going to have limited employees and they're going to have a, a clear structure that sets up like, well, here's what we handle in-house and here's what we do to make sure we get to all these other companies like this who handle these specific things. Mm-hmm. And so to me, from the outside, Servino Co. seems to be set up in a perfect way where that's what you're doing. Exactly. And you're leveraging those 10 years of all these guys who have across all the – I mean, your industries are insane. It's not just athletes and influencers. All these yeah. powerful guys, Fortune 500 companies, whatever, yeah. were like, oh, Chaz, oh, my God, yeah. You now get to leverage that and say, hey, I'm your guy. What you need, you come to me. I'll make sure we get to the people that do it because, by the way, I have networks there too in all these other places. I know people that do this, do that, do this, do that, and you know they want to do right by me too. So anyone I bring to them, they're going to do right by. That's so true. That's that's literally Servino Co in a nutshell. And But you can't get to that point without having 10 years experience, going through that agency route, understanding the whole digital landscape. And then this is, it's kind of like, all right, what's the second climb? I feel like this is a perfect second climb for me, which where I have the experience and the expertise to be able to do this. I, I wouldn't have been able to do this 10 years ago. So you have to yeah. go, you know, the things that you have to go through, the education that you have to learn, you know, might've learned certain things playing ball and, 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 and in college, but, you know, being, you know, starting your own business at, 22 and being able to do it and and build it up from nothing to where it is something you learn a ton of unbelievable um i don't know what to call you just you learn so much you can't even put it's an understatement you learn so much you learn everything that you need to know inside and out about the business so it's invaluable it's fucking invaluable well, the other thing that you really developed over time, just getting into these worlds and then getting into newer and newer ones over time, like adding to your lines of business like you guys did and then finding your new interests is figuring out where things are going versus where things had been. Like even if you were early to it, you you and I were talking earlier, uh, again, don't yeah. know if it was on the podcast, but about how when you were starting off with just like – when you were 22 with social media management, even though it was early on, 2011, whatever, it was still around for a couple of years. It was a commodity. Anyone could send out the tweets for people and say like, oh, look at me. I'm taking care of your brand. Whereas then you moved more towards things where it's like, well, no, you got to have expertise on this. You got to be able to do this, do that. So now you're finding yourself in a lot of circles where you're dealing with high level projects and you don't have to speak about what you can't, but you know, dealing with things in the, te- in the tech space, dealing with the digital ether where our world is gone in COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are, what are some things that you are allowed to talk about right now that, you know, you're working on or spaces you're involved in where you see major, major value propositions and, you know, it being like the first inning, you know, I, <laughs> 
there's certain th- you know there's certain things you want to touch up on there's certain things that you don't i think um one thing that i can say that i've I, i've dove you know head first into is pretty much this um you know within the crypto space is also a lot of to do with these nfts i mean mm. i don't really you know i i know a little bit about it um and i'm learning more about it um but there's you know, I don't know how much I really want to talk too much about that space. I do really like that space. Um, but there's, you know, where that is going, NBA top shot. I know you've had a couple individuals talking about that, which is unbelievable. Like that space is is so cool. I see the staying power within that space over the next 20 years and beyond. And then I also see the uh the opportunity to be able to get in on the ground floor of different things like that so um you know those things interest me though you know but that's also what interests me on getting into social yeah in 2011 you know it there's what's coming next what's next what do we need to be prepared for how do we how do how does these things like an nba top shot or uh a nifty gateway how does that evolve what's the next step for them because you're always trying to look at what's what's happening how to evolve how to you know how to um kind of you know work in that space with different people so it's uh, i'm really interested about it i think uh, i'll continue to learn more about it and see how i can incorporate it into servino co um but yeah i i think you know marrying that with some physical products which also um and then also just you know bringing that to influencers athletes alike i think is is going to be super important you know now what the listeners couldn't see that i could during that little q a right there is the wink winks like eh, i don't want to touch some things yet so I, I i know exactly what you mean gotta stay hush hush on some stuff that i'm sure we'll learn about very soon but let, let's keep it on the high level of what you just mentioned because i like that you brought that up the nft space as a whole which as you said Anyone that's coming out minus people who have been legit in blockchain and deep in crypto for like four or five years who really know their shit minus those people, which, you know, that's a select few. Anyone who's like, yo, I'm an NFT expert, man. They're full of shit. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that was around in in 2017. I wasn't, you know, and I was looking in in the crypto spaces. I didn't know what the fucking NFT was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I learned what an NFT was when I had Cole Canelli here in DePaul guy, Mm -hmm. by the way. DePaul guy. Love it. Back in Spartan. uh, Back in the end of December, who has been in the crypto space since 2016, knows fucking everything and everyone. And he started talking about NFTs. And then I started researching it. I didn't know anything about it. Like, I didn't know what it was. Same time that I learned about it right 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 through the pod. Exactly. So, you know, all these people who are like, yeah, you know, we, we've been in this for a while. No, no, you haven't. Right. But for people who are listening and going, what the fuck, you know, an NFT, non-fungible token, you know, l- let's define this high level. I had on Nick Garol, as you said, who mm-hmm. was deep into NBA Top Shot early on and learned all what this was really in the last few months. But with, with Top Shot, we've seen this two-dimensional digital asset where you take these NBA plays that have occurred in 2019 or 2020 of great players, shitty players, everything in between. You put digital art around them with scarcity, right? So maybe one play has 10 versions of it. Another play has 1,000. The one that has 10 and has LeBron James is worth a lot more. That has 1,000 that has LeBron James, right? Mm -hmm. And you put it out on the open market 
And when people buy it through this Top Shot community, they own that. And it's record on the blockchain. So no one else, like, you can't copy it. You know that you're the only person that actually owns it. And the key is you own it in the digital world. It's not sitting here. It's not tangible, right? It's not like the pictures on your wall or, you know, even like a video. Well, I don't want to go too deep. But yeah. things that are in front of you, right? It's No, you own it on your phone. You own it on the page that people go to and see that it's your page. And it's kind of crazy that we're concepting this, that we're trying to, you know, get into this concept now because we've kind of missed the boat on it, in my opinion. Like yeah, one, it's one been of, around for over three years. Not even crazy. 100% right. I'm going deeper than that, though. The whole digital aspect, right? One of the things you taught me a, a few years ago, I, I, I won't say it as well as you did, but you were like, the decisions of where things go are people who are below the age of 25. What are they doing? Mm -hmm. Ask them what they're doing. And that's probably where the value is going to be. And it's so fucking true. You look at how like social media, how every <coughs> platform was born. It was born on the kids, the teenagers and stuff. Still is. And that's the <laughs> point. NFTs. Who values the NFTs? The people who grew up in the digital economy and believe that when they own some, when they own a Fortnite skin, they get to show that off in the ether yeah. rather than like wearing it to school. You know, you and me, maybe we don't totally think that way, but, you know, are you starting to personally see the value in that and like the clout and intrinsic value that it has when someone buys something that's only on the phone or on their computer? Oh, yeah. I see it all the time. I think Gary Vee's been freaking pumping this shit like crazy, mm. man. And I think, you know, I really, you know, I, re I respect where he comes from um, and his perspective on it because he's on the pulse. But I think it's I think it's got long staying power. You see where things have gone. You think, all right, do you buy certain things on, uh, you know, in physical form now, or do you do it in digital form? Music, completely digital form now. Yep. Books. Every you look at kind of all these different aspects. You know, there's still some physical copies of these things. You can get an album cover. Yeah, you can still get. You know, I don't, I think you can still get a CD. I mean, but do Probably. people do that? You know. So I think everything is really moving to the digital front. And that's also – so that's why the internship program – and not to get off topic on the NFTs. That's why the internship program was so important. It brought in – we picked – you know, you have 30 interns mm. every semester. They tell you what's going on too. You're talking to them about, all right, what are you guys doing? What apps are you guys using? That's literally the questions that I would ask them. What do you guys – you know, what, what what are you communicating on? What are you building things on? What are you, you know, creating things on? So that was wow. part of it. And then the, the second part is then the top two or three people that really loved, you know, the culture, the, the, the brand, everything that we were building, then they would come on as a possible employee or part-time through school or, or, or give them some extra hours um, while they were still at school at that time. So it was a, um, I call it, it was a lot of R&D as well as, um, as well as, you know, recruiting. Tons I never even thought of that. Oh, great R&D. Like, great R&D. That's what I'm saying. Tons of great platforms that we learned from. That's crazy. You know, it was like, what are you guys doing? What do you And it wasn't like they were doing it in school. They were just doing it like in their dorm room or like outside of school. It wasn't like, "Oh, I'm taking this class and they're teaching me this." Like, and I'm I'm not trying to knock school. I'm not. Like, no, no, I know what you're but, saying. But they they were doing that in their classrooms. They were doing it outside of classrooms on the social front. And on these different platforms. So it's very interesting. Gary V says all the time, how much would you pay for that blue check mark? 
it's yeah. it's only on Instagram. It doesn't even transfer. That blue check mark doesn't tra- transfer from Instagram to Twitter <laughs> to your hat to, to your hat. It, it doesn't. It's not in physical form, but people will pay real money for that. They people will pay real money to to um to buy these digital assets which i think i mean you i mean we talk about it trying to understand this digital asset world and what nfts are and it's like okay well i bought a skin on my on my cod uh game call of duty okay great but people people love that all right i got this new gun or i got this you know why it's the same thing that you put money into you know uh all these all these games on your phone why do you why do people put money into reddit so they could give a you know a, a rocket emoji to a friend like a sticker like it it's very that's all what we're talking about is these digital assets that don't really exist in real life or don't exist in physical form yet are super valuable for people under the age of you say 25 i even say under the age of 21 that truly mm. that truly value digital assets just as much as physical assets and everything that we know over the last year physical assets has and you know rare physical assets like sports cards and that stuff you had my brother on that were like have skyrocketed mm. like they're in the stratosphere and that's on, physical that's physical so i think as long staying power i also think that marrying them with physical products like the jordan rookie card you get an nft or you there's x amount of nfts and then you have the physical card and then buying them together or working with them in in in, in some sort of way i think is truly like old school new school kind of combining them together and then having something that's you know Hey pops, I'll get I'll give you this this physical card. I'll, I'll keep the digital asset. And he's like, all right, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, man. And the, the, it's like the intergenerational, you know, divide and conquer. When you look at it, where you actually morph those two worlds, which is crazy. And eventually, the older generations, like everything else, you World know, death. your grandpa who said in in two thousand nine, as mine did, I will never have a goddamn iPhone. Well, you know what? Had one by twenty fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> so like people people get with it. Like as we assimilate, but and it does take time to it adopt. It does. It does. But there are you look at overall trends and stuff, and obviously COVID changed the world and changed how we look at things and changed how we view work and, and all these all these different things. And we will this will be a cultural case study for decades. I mean oh, we, yeah. you know, we're gonna see the remnants of this for the next fifty years to see what it what it really caused. But some trends that we've seen, like lack of trust in institutions, now moving to individuals, right? We've seen a lot of that, you know, with people from across the political spectrum not trusting government for different reasons, but the same broad reasons at the end of the day. Like they're behind closed doors, they do their shit, they don't have our interests in mind. Guess what? We now have the tools of the internet to be able to work together as individuals and take back, you know, even things down to money, which is why you see moves to Bitcoin and and in crypto and and stuff that's quote unquote decentralized. But we also have seen these different value shifts, right? So we're talking about the digital one moving to that world. How much does that then inject the shit, right? And let me be clear what I mean by that. Everyone's going to throw an NFT on something now. You remember back in 2017 when Bitcoin was blowing up and crypto was blowing up for the first time and suddenly everyone was a token expert. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you know, my favorite one, you saw a Long Island iced tea company on Long Island change their name from Long Island iced tea limited or something to Long Island blockchain because they just wanted to get into blockchain. Everyone wanted to throw the word blockchain on something and create a product there without thinking about what the actual integration of blockchain was. 
very similar early on here with NFTs. What didn't happen there is blockchain didn't get rendered useless at all. Simply, it had to go through a market where suddenly all the bad actors and people who were opportunists left the market because they were full of shit. And then the great ones rose, and now we're seeing blockchain getting integrated in a beautiful way on so many things, including NFTs. So I think what you're going to see, and this is why I want your thoughts on with NFTs, is that there are going to be a lot of people creating an NFT out of something that has absolutely no fucking business being an NFT. Mm -hmm. things to have no value zero you know and and not to call some people out but i've seen some early deals here where it's a nobody putting out shit work and because there's not a lot on the market yet people are buying it like crazy for millions of dollars in some cases and it's like well long term some of that once everyone runs to the market the real ones are going to rise what is this asset? Is that just some bullshit that some guy made to say I did an NFT? Or is that something that like, yo, if I have that, my friends are going to be like, damn, I got that. You know, and, and the scarcity world is the other thing. Mm -hmm. Like when you inject the supply, you're not going to have scarcity just by default. There's only so many people that can buy so many assets, right? Mm -hmm. But the ones that have the value, like the products that are created to have the value – People now really value that whole, like, I have it and you don't because there's only so many that are available. In the physical world, we've seen it throughout history. Like, they always talk about the tulip craze in, in Europe back in the 1600s or whatever. When everyone started wanting tulips, what happened? Everyone started growing fucking tulips. And then once everyone was growing fucking tulips and trying to sell them, what happened? <laughs> Prices of tulips went through the floor. Once you have this set scarcity in the ether where it's like, nope, only 10 of those were ever made, that's it. So, like, you get your hands on that, you're guaranteed, like, yo, I have something that will never be recreated. That's an interesting world to think about because we don't really have a precedent there. No, we don't. And I think that's why I think between scarcity, between the between extra or extra discretionary income right now mm. where no one's traveling, I mean, people want to experience things in real life too. Uh, we're we're talking about the digital the digital assets and digital space, but I think uh, once things open up a little bit, especially at this time, I think they're going to be a little bit less dollars moving into that space. Um, I don't think by any means is it going to hurt the space by any means. It's just going to it makes the space a little bit. I think that the space is it's at its it's at it's a very high. Uh, place right now it's not i don't know if it's at its height but it's very high so i feel like once things stable out a little bit uh you have some some real guys coming to the market i think it would just become a little bit more of a you know i don't know they call that thing stable coin or whatever the heck it is yeah, within yeah. crypto yeah. i think it just becomes more stable I, I i believe that right now it's a little high it'll probably see a dip uh, like anything else, and then it would be just becoming more stable once because I don't think it's going anywhere. People are going to own assets. People don't want to own, you know, so many. You know, it's believe me. I've moved. I've moved a few times. Moving sucks. I'd rather have everything in a digital wallet on my phone than be packing up all these freaking pieces of artwork and things I've collected. I'm a collector. I like to hoard things. And that's my wife. She freaking hates it. She hates it. She's like, you, you're a hoarder. But I like to collect like trinkets. I like to collect really cool things by cool people, have stories behind them. That's kind of like one of the things I love to do. You know what I mean? Like that's just I, – I find that to be really enjoyable. And I think now that's where it's shifting over to digital assets, NFTs, 
next level. But right now, yeah, you're said it. There's people putting out shit NFTs. Am I out there buying these shit NFTs? No. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck would I spend my money on some shit stuff? I know it's going to be there for the next 20 years and beyond. Do I need yeah. to buy one right now at the height of, or at the height or very high of the market when everyone else is buying these damn things? Maybe if it's something that I really love and want to see, but it's also, you know, some things where I know it's going to be, I, I know they're going to be creating more digital assets. Yeah. So it's that, first inning. It's the first inning. You know, 2017 was early. I mean, when they first started it, this is like first second inning of, of where it's going to be. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love the, I love the industry, love where it's going. And uh, I think there's a, a ton of really, really cool possibilities that could be uh, that creatively can be done with a lot of these, uh, you know, artists and influencers, athletes yeah. alike. So it's just a really cool space to be in. I think brands are going to I think that that's where I think a next level is right now. Individuals are putting out there. They're going to be working with brands. They're going to be marrying things with physical products. It, there's. I think there's a lot of layers to where this thing goes. And I, and you know, everyone throws the the term blockchain out there, Mm. but it truly is a ledger of where the transactions are made on these platforms. And then to be able to track secondary transactions or if something sells for 25,000 resells for 50,000 being, 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 having a ledger of that, of where it's sold for. And then, you know, um, having that attribution, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of that stuff goes back to my days in affiliate, uh, affiliate where we were doing so much affiliate. And it's like, okay, well, if someone buys this, you get a piece of this. Now it, there's another, there's a next step to that. There's another layer to that. And it's all being tracked on the blockchain rather than through some other third-party platforms that we were using to track mm. that are still very big right now. Um, so I think that, uh, I'm, I'm really long on the space. Yeah, and, and well, yeah, those those platforms are still big, and some of the most quote unquote centralized platforms in the world, a YouTube, an Instagram, like they're all huge, right? But it's hard to concept a world where suddenly, you know, you put blockchain on it or whatever. But take that out for a second. It's hard to concept a world where suddenly things are not quote unquote centralized. They're that decentralized, which starts to get into the point where people are like, all right, what the fuck are you talking about? Yep. But in a world where what you access on your phone or through your network doesn't have to go to one central hub. All the phones and all the networks have access to this and have the record of it. So, you know, someone in the middle can't change that record. You know, when you send a DM on Instagram, it doesn't just immediately go to that person's inbox. Mm -hmm. It, It touches the Instagram servers first, which have a record of it handle it and push it out so if you want to hack instagram you just hack their servers and now you've hacked every single user that's attached to that Mm -hmm. with the decentralized quote-unquote blockchain concept no you have to hack all the phones to effective and all the computers to effectively hack it so it makes sense like what it is and i just think with covid and the lack of trust again hitting on the institution point you're only going to see more of it, even if it's hard to picture in your head. Well, what would a decentralized Instagram look like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But there's pe- there's smart people working on it. And so you oh, yeah. see things like the NFTs rise up. It's just a it's a piece of an overall trend, you know. And I it, it's a typical life imitates art, man. Yes, and there's also I mean, if you really think about it, I think would Jack Dorsey. I think he sold the first tweet. There's actually another platform I was on it the other day that you can buy tweets. <laughs> you could bid on tweets. You can uh, you could purchase them if the right. individual, you know, I, I mean, 
that's where it gets like it just it gets foggy and this thing and it goes and believe me is there is there bitcoin friggin casinos out there that people know about that don't know about yeah i've been on those sites i've you know you do research you're on there there's so many crazy things that you could put your money into or not my i mean i bought a couple cause you know um sculptures like it's the artist cause Mm. i don't know if you ever heard of it but bought some of those things it's all based on the scarcity of it. It's all based on the artist. And I think this also, this world now with NFTs and all this other stuff, I think it's giving the artist back like that that control. Because yes. they were, I mean, even at an agency level, they're creating tons of pieces of artwork. And I think that they're, you know, more on like the back end of it where now when they display a lot of this stuff on social media, but you're not really, you're getting other jobs from that. You're not really selling your artwork. There's certain marketplaces where you do say your artwork, but I think it's giving them an ability, which I mean, I love that, that expertise in the art space, photo editing. Uh, it's what a really cool space that is. So to give them these, these platforms like this, I think is awesome. What about music, though, man? That's the biggest one. Oh. Think about how, like, fucked musicians yeah. got. Oh, and, they... and not that it was intended this way, but once it went to streaming and iTunes was invented and the I- and the iPod, iPhone eventually came in, the, the monetary gain and ability to earn on their songs that they got went <laughs> through the floor. Because all the record companies, which already took half their fucking shit, lost control, right? Mm-hmm. So now you look at it. It's really, it's really interesting to think about this space, but musically, yeah. and how the artists in that space have gotten crushed with with going digital. Now they could take a, a, a take take some of that revenue back for themselves and release it through themselves. Granted, they probably have you know contracts with um, with agencies and so on and so forth. But uh, that's a great. That's awesome to think that they could take some control back because they got absolutely destroyed with, you know, from going from, you know, albums, CDs, all they got destroyed. That was a huge moneymaker, huge moneymaker. I mean, they make no money. And now now it's they really only were making money with tours and, uh, you know, physical concerts. Where has that been the last year with COVID? Yep. So, I mean. And if you also think about that space, you go into musicians and then comedians. Comedians got crushed, man. The got com- crushed. The comedians who won over the past year. I mean, I can think of three in particularly off the top of my head. Andrew Schultz, Tim Dillon, and Whitney Cummings in a way. And I know a little bit less about her whole situation, but – they won because they were ready for the digital world. They were ready for taking their comedy to YouTube, taking it like already having podcasts set up. Uh, Schultz didn't, but having the type of content that people were going to consume like crazy and be and have the chance for it to be viral and constantly being out in front of people where they're not on the stage building, you know, the old school way. And now you've seen so many even great comedians lose a lot of traction because. They, they made all their money on the tours. They made all their money doing the stages and suddenly, oh, well, can't do that. And they didn't have the operation ready to go and they don't know that world. Yep. You know, it's... That's a lot of like the legends in comedy. Yeah. So I think there could be a space within the NFT or within that within that kind of digital assets that these comedians can do, you know, privatized, you know, what is it? Uh, stand up for. Actually, yeah, that's interesting. You know, a private, 
a kind of a private room or whatever it may be. But I think even if, the, you know, what's that platform? Patheon or something that you could donate? Pa- Patreon. 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 Yeah. Patreon. Yeah. You could have a community there where people pay you to put out, you know, private content. You could have a private account on YouTube. So I don't know if people are utilizing, you know, these certain resources, but I think where the digital assets are going and the scarcity behind it, rather than putting it on those platforms, I think is really what's unique. And I think these these artists are finally, you know, you talk about decentralized, you talk about all these places and based off the blockchain, I think they're going to be the the ones that win at the end of the day in this space where over the last 10, 15 years, it was, it was still trying to get figured out. It's like you're searching for searching for gold and, and you're just sifting through when is it going to open up? When is it going to open up? So I feel like a few of these things that are happening right now are giving them the ability to to really capitalize on on, on their craft and their expertise. What about sports and athletes, though? Because that's that's obviously a sweet spot for you. You know, look, they, I don't think anyone liked the NBA bubble when they had to do that. And at least they're not in the bubble anymore. Like they're playing games in their stadiums that are mostly empty. I obviously it's got to go back to normal as we get vaccinated here. If it doesn't, we got a big problem as a society yeah, and people have seen the goalposts move over and over and over again. So who the fuck knows? But I, I can't ignore the trend. I've talked about this before, but on in game six of the NBA finals last year with LeBron James playing in it and the LA Lakers playing in it, I think they had 300,000 some viewers that same night, CNN and Fox News had a combined like 10 million viewers, you know, and that's like dinosaur cable, right? Yep. And so I, I look at this and I wonder how much COVID has changed pop culture. Now, like things like music that you put in your headphones and shit that you can go about your day and it gives you an emotion and stuff. That hasn't, that's only been great, right? If you mm-hmm. were an artist that was set up to be able to capitalize on this and record some music and put it out there, like, cool sports i wonder about a little bit because people still gambled on it like crazy mm-hmm. i had ant the bookie in here yeah, talking about great. that and the fucking character <laughs> but you know they were still doing that but that's just the human nature of like those humans they want action they they, they, they don't even watch it when they're betting on lucas suavian table tennis as <laughs> yeah, he said. Yeah, I know. <laughs> which you know shout out to lucas suavia which does not exist yeah. but you know it's not like they're watching that you know they just they they want the sick action whatever but I wonder about how seriously we take these common pop culture institutions in the new digital world. Do people care as much? Are there more things that they're now interested in? I mean, when you go on social media, it seems like people are more interested in talking about like content and talking about creators and talking – and I'm just speaking very high level right now – talking about things going on in the world or bitching about politics more than likely rather than you know where some of that oxygen would have previously been seriously spent on sports. I wonder about how they come out of this. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Mm, that's a great question. Just because I, I love basketball, so I'm I'm watching the bubble. Was it hard to watch? It looks like a pickup game. Yeah, I would watch pickup games. <laughs> so, yeah. so I would sit in a I would sit in a gym and watch you know a pre- practices of you know college teams and guys you know that I grew up watching. So like that wasn't that really didn't affect me the way I think it affected a lot of others that are just casual fans, not really like dedicated to the game and love the game the way I did. So, but, um, I think it will change. I think over time, I think it will change. 
Um, but I think surprising, I think it's going to change for the better because I think you, we're also talking about top shot. We're talking, yeah. we're talking about how you, you know, these 2d images and where they're going to be and stuff like that. Well, I feel like there, you know, the games will be at a different level and will be displayed in a different way for, you know, individuals and consumers to be able to digest them in a different fashion. So I think, um, you know, if these games were playing on in front of us or, you know, now we could, you know, record the games, watch them at different times, all that, you know, all of that really on demand. I think sports still give a, gives us that, that, um, it, it gives us that time where we're like, you know, we can have it on demand, but we rather watch it live, you know? And I think yeah, oh, the yeah. live yeah. portion of, of that will still exist. Um, but I think, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here. I just, I'm so, I love sports so much. It's hard for me to, to kind of think about them really not being as prevalent as they currently are uh, in society. And people put so much onus on their team and their, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, putting so much eggs in that basket, you'd say, because they just, they don't like the NFL. Do I get upset about the NFL? Of course. Because Tom Brady can play for 20 years because no one can even touch him in the helmet. Yeah. Can't even touch this guy in the helmet without getting like it's it's a yeah. major penalty. So do I get mad at those things on how things have changed? Of course. Do I still watch the NFL? Do I still watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I couldn't watch it, you know? It's yeah. but do I get upset about how things have changed and how the game has changed in both the NBA, the NFL, and these other leagues? Of course. I mean just soft as shit. Yeah. Well, and and again though, the the kids, again, the kids who are the... watching that, that's what they're used to now. You know. And then you go back and then you go back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, taking on head-on collisions on a daily basis, yep. and then your head is, you know, it's like, what do you want? Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. But it it's thinking about the sports thing. Why do we love sports? When do we come to love sports? We come to love them when we're growing up. Why do we love them when we're growing up? Because very often we play those sports and we dream about being yes. the gladiators who actually made it, whether it be football, basketball, whatever. One of the things that, again, I don't know how this turns out here, but I think about the kids all the time because I'm not a kid at this point, right? Like I'm not in school I, and I'm not around them all the time. But I think about the kids in this COVID era who now – you know, this is a reality. Think about the, especially the most impressionable ones, you know, like the eight, nine-year-olds who are coming into themselves for the first time, right? And and having their own thoughts. And now they live in this world where there's fear, fear, fear. You know, you're, you're separated from people. It's not natural to be close to people because you might get sick, right? Which, by the way, for kids, you might get sick with something that has like a 0.0001% chance of fucking killing them. Don't take my stats literally, people. Go look it up for yourself. I'm, I'm not a fucking COVID expert, but you get the point. Like, kids aren't really dying from this. It is a huge outlier, right? And yet they're, they've, they are in this world where suddenly that's the worst thing and everything that used to be natural isn't. And one of the down, many downstream effects is sports. You, you see some of these high school games are wearing fucking masks on the court. I, could, I, I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Bro. 
Like and and the kids they don't want to play. They're they're home. They're they're doing remote school and stuff. They're, do you think they're like signing up for the soccer team or the football team? No. No, they're not. And do, no, do you think they're going to want to do that next year? What are the downstream effects? How many kids suddenly don't play sports or don't get social, period? And then what effect does that have in our long-term viewpoint of those people in society, the athletes? That's another thing to think about here. Shit, I can't. I couldn't walk through freaking Costco with a mask on and a jacket. I was freaking hyperventilating. I don't know how people do it in their jobs on a day-to-day. I work, you know, working from home. I, I do not know day in and day out to wear that mask or wear multiple masks and a shield on your face for for a, as your norm the multiple mask thing is hilarious the multiple I, I mask thing is fucking hilarious i can't it's i really <laughs> and and it's not like you know we're not arguing the efficacy here no. like that's not the point it's just it, it's crazy that that is a reality that people have had to get used to and whatever, and they better not be getting used to it after we're vaccinated because that's the whole fucking point to not yeah. have to be normal again and get our kids socializing and not having your face fucking covered and stuff. But, dude, it is so, societally we could go across the board and say where does this how does it affect relationships? How does it affect your ability to form relationships? You know, it's scary, man. I really yeah, and I. I you know, I like this topic. I don't like to, you know, dwell on it because you don't want to dwell on this whole, f- you know, the pandemic yeah. and COVID and talking about it, talking about it. But it's true, man. You can't, you don't know how to say hello to people. You don't know how to shake their hand. You don't know how to give them a fist pump. Are you hugging family? You're not hugging family. You're not freaking kissing family. Uh, are, what are we doing? You, you have no, you can't even tell what their emotions are or how they look. Are they smiling at you? Are they saying hi? Are they friendly? You have no freaking clue. Yeah. And no and it's not, clue. you know, saying these things at this point, it's not to be like... I don't know why people haven't created a clear mask so you could see people's face through a mask that can actually protect you. I haven't seen any of that. <laughs> I did see one. Did you? Day. It's weird. It gets, I guess fo- that's it gets the, fogged up. Does it? Oh, yeah. that, that was what... Uh, what's his name? Andy Reid was, was happening. He was getting all fogged up in his visor. And that was a visor, you know, which is like next level it's, it's next. still not you know what i mean like and it's not again, but i've never seen anyone visor no mask it's a mask visor <laughs> because because then you still can't see people's face it's it's you know on the on the court dude i saw it on the court i i really i was like i can't Bro. even honey this is i know we value human life more and more over the course of history which is a very positive thing not arguing with that but 80 years ago, they were jumping from fucking planes on Normandy, and there was like a 40% chance they were going to live. And now, you know, there's this fear on people the same age to wear six fucking visors and a mask on the very off chance they're actually going to die. Like, there, you should be able to say out loud that, hey, this is really bad and we have to do things different until we get it fixed, until we get vaccinated and stuff. Totally on board. You should be able to say that out loud without someone pointing at you and saying, oh, so you don't believe in it? Oh, you think this is wrong? We all know people who have gotten really banged up about this. We know some people who have died as well, right? Absolutely. They they tend to be older or they tend to be in good shape. That that is a fact. But it's happened, right? You don't really see as much of that with – or nearly as much of that with the regular flu. That's also a fact, right? So you should be able to say like, hey, this is really serious and, and, and we need to make adjustments and we need to be able to ride this out with said adjustments until we're at a point where, hey, you know, we, we got the vaccine now, we're good to go. But you shouldn't have to be 
off the deep end about it. And it it's just, you know, because you're, again, like your whole business is built on relationships. It's built on, you know, shaking hands and meeting and, and, and personally understanding people. Hard to do that right now. Very hard. Very hard to do that. People don't necessarily want to meet. They don't want to converse. They'd rather just do a Zoom call or Google Meet. And, uh, you know, you're getting used to it. You're like, okay, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I don't got to leave my house. It's like, it's like, oh, it's kind of, but then again, you you know, you can only establish such a relationship where you're not actually fucking sitting down with people and breaking bread, talking to people like it's, and just being around others. I don't know. It's, I don't know when that next shift is going to come. Hopefully it comes this summer. I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to kind of get a little bit more of that normalcy where people do want to go out people do want to meet um i've just seen a lack of uh a lack of enthusiasm to get out there and start freaking meeting new people and just meeting people in in person you know as i'm starting servino co you want to get out there and meet as many people as you possibly can um but internally do i want to like if i meet with somebody that also affects who's coming to my house tonight Who's yep. in my, my in-laws, they're all, you know, my parents, you know, yep. I do I go see my grandparents. So if I go on a business meeting to somewhere and I'm sitting down with a couple guys, all right, then I go to my grandparents' house. Like you're, you're always worried about who you're going to affect afterwards, which is yep. understandable. And that's why, you know, I, I, it's funny to talk about the double mask and the whole shield. If that's what people need to feel comfortable, it's really sad and unfortunate that they can't go out and just feel comfortable with one mask on or just trying to do what would you know and just go out there without anything and just kind of just live in your life but there's so many implications to this it's very weird um i i am and sometimes you just forget i and you know saying invite a friend over did he is he is he vaccinated does did, did he take a test before he came over i'm like oh shit did he take did he take a test there's only uh, so much you can do man once it, we it's just need to get vaccinated, you know what I mean? Like, I agree. we gotta get it done. And, and like, you know, I'm looking to sign up as well. I know you and I talked about that, like getting it done. That's what people are starting to do too. You're seeing, I think we passed 50 million like three weeks ago or something. So we're probably, I don't want to estimate the number, but we're higher than that now across the country. Like, that's a great sign. And now, you know, people like us are getting people in on feel it. feel safe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, just get back to some normalcy. People mm -hmm. go out there and, you know, go out to dinner. I know they're opening up. I believe in Jersey now. It's like fifty percent. I think they're moving from thirty-five to fifty. Um, I, you know, I didn't understand the ten p.m. curfew. So you, you, <laughs> you can you can get COVID from COVID knows. <laughs> COVID knows when you close at ten p.m. That it okay. It if comes. you're there after ten, COVID knows you fucked up and it's going to come get you. <laughs> but before ten, it's going to chill at, at the coat rack. You yeah. know, it's not going to come in. It, it it knows like oh no 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 Mike Mike uh, Mike's here at nine forty five he's oh he's there good. he goes he's leaving we're good Mike you're free to go <laughs> I didn't get that one it's it's hysterical and you know for years some of these like I guess like maybe the tea partiers and some of the like some right wing people always use this term sheep right and so you, yep. you couldn't really use it unless you wanted to get painted in that light and now it's it's more of a broad term that you see more and more people using because of what's happening out there and i think it's kind of hilarious yeah but the um the lineman on on carolina russell okung whose twitter is unreal doesn't tweet about anything football he's like a brilliant critical thinker he put out a video that i think was from tiktok a few weeks ago where it was 
I think his caption was something along the lines of, this man is using a lint roller and no one is asking a question. When you build a, and I'm paraphrasing here, when you build a society of sheep, they're going to keep being sheep. And when you build a society of people that aren't asking questions, this is what you get. And what it showed was some random building in, in, a, in a city block. Could have been a Starbucks. I don't know what it was. I couldn't see on the inside. A guy was standing outside using a lint roller and stopping people at the door and going like this, holding his arms out to get them to get like a security wand. And he was taking a lint roller as a security wand and then saying, okay, you're good. Come in. And people were lining up and letting him wand them with a fucking lint roller. No No one was asking a question. By the law of averages, a lot of smart people were in that line too, not asking a question. That's what I worry about with this. It's not about mass and that shit. It's all the other stuff. Like, when are you going to say, woo, wait, okay, so you're saying we're still going to need to do this after we get vaccinated? These are simple questions, and people need to ask them. And I think he's right about that. There's not enough people asking that. Not a lot of people. They'd rather just kind of go with the flow, unfortunately. (laughs) No, it's... I'm pretty uh I'm pretty perplexed about everything, you know, it's just the media. I, I I you go back to the media play, can't trust what they say, can't trust and yeah, I haven't I haven't watched suck. I I haven't watched the media in, since early fucking March 2020. I used to on the like treadmill or elliptical at the gym uh, that we'd have CNN and Fox News right next to each other. I loved it because oh, you would laugh your ass no, off. No, absolutely. At it, right? They're they're both loony bins. It's you can't laugh at. I mean, I just stay away from watching it ever. You can't laugh at them anymore. They're they're fucking they're crazy, and you see, it's like it infects people's minds. Hundred percent. It's you know it it's it's not good. But anyway, but before we get out of here on on a more personal note, and whatever. Obviously, we've waited to do this for a while. Yeah. And now you're you're free. Yes. Free last. But um, you know, looking back on from my perspective, like the last three years since we really started working closely together and doing all kinds of stuff, where you were. And what you were doing, obviously very successful, had the company, had at that point built all the serious relationships too. We're doing that things. But you 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 talked about it earlier in this conversation, not being happy and not knowing what the next steps were and, and where it was going. From, from my seat, having the chance to sit there and learn from you, also get a lot of opportunities to unlock my own world that you unlocked for me. And there's people like you that I owe a ton to, a very select group of people, and you're at the top of that list. So thank you. But, you know, seeing how you went from step to step here to, to take control of your life and get yourself in this position to have this type of freedom and be able to have the vision you want to have and and leverage all the things that you did build. That currency you built was the people you built who are not your network. They are your relationships. They are mm-hmm. your friends. They are the people who call you at 3 a.m. and you answer and vice versa. It gives me a lot of hope in the world because if we have examples, people who lead and, and lead by example and show other people how business is done and how you're good to people and everything comes around, you're the kind of guy that needs to have that platform and needs to have that forefront, not just scream like, oh, look at me, look at my life, you know, on, on a fucking beach on Instagram like half these guys do. You're somebody who's lived in the dirt and has gotten dirty with, with people and, and 
what I mean by that is you're, you're somebody who's been through it and, and, and had the ups, had the downs, understood what's important at the end of the day. And now you finally are, it's, it's a beautiful thing seeing you succeed. And I know some of the things you got going on that we can't talk about, but we will very soon mm-hmm. on a future podcast. Absolutely. It's, I just want to say from my seat, it's a beautiful thing to see you now able to get out there and, and, and do this and, and be able to build that platform. And so I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, you can come on here and start the, the front edge of the public side of that. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to make you a regular guest moving forward with, with all the things that you're at the forefront and, and doing. Well, that was definitely better said than I could ever, <laughs> than I could ever say it. And, uh, no, it's, it's fucking awesome. I love what you've built. This is unbelievable. Cause I've, you know, known you before you, we're running a very successful podcast and being this 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 amazing host, which we have talked about plenty of times. Um, I think getting out of the commodity is it commodity, right? Yeah, yeah. I, getting I would, out of the I commodity business, yeah. Getting out of the commodity business and getting into a business where can anyone else replicate Chaz Servino? I mean, I'm sure there's other people out there that are great networkers and great sure. connectors, but they're just they're just not me. It's more subjective. It's more subjective. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, there's millions of companies doing SEO. We talked about this. There's millions of companies doing social media. There's millions of companies building you a website. Granted, I could do all those things, but they, I also am bringing a wealth of knowledge, relationships, connections to the table. So what, what I didn't realize 10 years ago was that that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. really really valuable i didn't realize that till maybe a few years ago when i'm like oh shit and then as i just as i was going through trans this transition it just came to the came to light that like like dude this is like this is something that no one else can really teach you can't teach what you what you have like to anybody you can't teach what you have look at look at everything that you built here look at everything that you're doing uh, on your end you can't I mean, people can have podcasts, right? Can they be trendify? Can they be trendifier? No, That's you're it's, it's yeah. exactly it's you. You can't replicate. You, you can't replicate you. And I feel like that's the same thing with me with Servino Co. and where I'm going and what I'm building. Is that it's it's so unique and it's one of a kind. And that's something that I love. That I can't like. I'm just I'm happy that I'm in this place right now. That I can. Um, that I could really relish in my own kind of my own little world. And I don't really, I don't really need to rely on anybody else. It's, it's pretty unique yeah. and that I could, and I could effectively provide tons of value to people, which is ultimately as I, as I, I think I said in the beginning, I don't know we, exactly what you said before. I don't know if it was before or after whatever it may be. Um, but it's just, it's so cool that, you know, you can make your, you know, call your own shots, make your own decisions. Um, all right. You can't buy trust. You're right. That's what you built. Yeah. That's, that's very true. You have to be able to trust the people that you're, you're in business with and you have to be, you have to, you're right. It's, it's just, it's really, it's really cool to be able to do that with people and then to trust you with their businesses, with their, um, I don't want to call it their livelihoods, but a lot of these people, a lot of when Some you talk of about them do man, when, when you're talking, yeah, when you talk about, um, you know, building building a foundation for their for their self for their self their business their digital platforms and they they're putting that in your hands and like okay, 
Like, I trust that you're going to handle this for me. I take that very seriously. I have, a, I have a major fear of letting people down. It's out there. I do. <laughs> I really... I, That's not a bad fear and a half. I really do. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe it's through, you know, growing up or how my parents were, how my grandparents were. I don't... I just have a... I don't, I don't like to let people down. I also like to be able to be that person where I can help people. And at this point, now my business is truly um, in the consult where I'm being this consultant. I'm going to have to tell some individuals, which I've done in the past, but it was different when it's your in an agency. Now it's your name, it's, yeah. it's Servino Co. And like now it's going to have to turn people down that I personally, I really can't help you. Yeah. Like there's going to be times like that. Do I want to be able to help a lot of people? Of course. But you know what? I got to, it, it's not right to tell people I can help everybody because sometimes you really can't. You can't work with a lot of the small businesses that maybe you cracked your teeth with, you know, at the beginning. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, and that's a credit to you because your time is valuable and yes. you got to spend it in the places that are most va most valuable and where you can add the most value. And you can do that with the powerful circles that you've gotten yourself into. And the other important point is though, when you, you know, when you build a relationship with a Kevin or, or a Ray or something, or, you know, some of these other guys, you're not, you are, you're building it with all the other people around them, including the people who maybe don't have like a huge role in stuff. And you take them just as seriously as you take Kevin and Ray. And there's not a lot of people, everyone says like, oh, I treat the doorman the same as the CEO. Very few people do that. Your dad does that. And you do that. And so I, you know, I, I think a lot of that is like an environment thing where you learned that at a young age that was instilled in you. And that makes you a scarce asset. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a great point because I don't really, I, I don't, there's a, I have, I have blinders on when it comes to really judgment on mm. where you come from, what you've been. And it's probably, I mean, shit, man. My dad posted, my dad posted the other day, my first, my first team in Jersey city, but I was, you know. You know that team that I was on. I don't know if you if if you guys know the uh, the book Miracle at Saint of Saint Anthony, the Miracle of Saint Anthony, um, the the basketball team from Saint Anthony's in uh, in Jersey City. But uh -huh. that was the that was the team that became that. Uh, oh wow! That team okay. as as they grew up. So yeah, yeah. pretty interesting on that front. But it was probably I was, I was in so many different. Um, environments i was in so many different environments as a kid i had to adapt to all these different places and i had to be able to earn respect uh at the same time not what's a cool uh, not shit on people you know what i mean yeah yeah so understand. when you go into a different environment you no one knows you okay why is this what's this kid gonna do Okay, well, I got to show respect. I got to be good enough, but I can't be, I can't be like, I can't do it in a way. Maybe you could explain it better. You're better with words than me, Jules. But I mean, you have to do it in a way where people are like, oh, dude, I fuck with that guy, but he's not like shoving it in my face. He's not trying too hard. That's it. Yeah. You're not trying too hard, but you're gaining the respect of others. And I think that's part of teams. That's why I... You know, I, 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 and that's why it's, you know, I am doing this Servino Co by myself, but there's teams around me that I'm building and relationships around me that, uh, that I've built for the last 10 years that are really the foundation of Servino Co. I think that's really what it comes down to. I, I don't know if I, I assume you just kind of come by this honestly and don't notice it, but, and I've said this about a couple 
at least a couple different people I've had on this podcast because it's very true about them too, but it's a crazy good asset to have these days. And that is you are somebody who's not afraid to say, you know, I don't know about that, but I'm going to talk to the guy who does, or I know the guy that does, let's bring him in. And so many people just want to bullshit and be like, oh yeah, let me tell you all about that. And, you know, put in on insert filler words here and, and figure something out that they have no business on. But that's what makes you the connector. Cause you're like, you know where your lines are of like no fucking idea on that. And there's people who, who inherently appreciate that. Cause they're like, all right, this guy's not bullshitting me, mm-hmm. you know? And especially when you're dealing with people who have a lot of inbound coming at them, they get bullshitted all the time mm-hmm. by people who claim to be experts on stuff and they aren't. And so, you know what, you know, you know what you don't know, you know, where you're an expert, you know, where you're not, and you know, when to, when to draw that line. And you know, that, that's what you talk about, not trying to be something you're not. That's the literal definition of it. Yeah. I, I, I think being involved in so many of these different environments and being subjected to so many different types of people and all different walks of life, I think have given me that ability to be able to kind of relate to a lot of different people on a lot of levels. Like I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I also mm. didn't grow up where, you know, I didn't have food on the table on, on Sunday. Yeah. So I think, I was in between and I think that that also I was subjected to pretty much every type of environment. So I I think that definitely helps, you know, make you, you know, make the, you know, what makes you, you. And I think that's why I said like, you know, you don't have to, you have to be somebody else, you know, at the end of the day, you're one of a kind. And that's where something that is it's not a it, it's I hate using that thing commodity now but it's just I feel like so many people are in all right how many graphic designers are there <laughs> millions upon millions and I think the NFT space is going to help you know help them to you know uh and pick yeah out. that example sure <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so I know what you mean though you know what I mean and and then I also think about how many millions of people do SEO how many millions of people are running Facebook ads like if you don't know how to run Facebook ads you're of the you're not of the majority because the majority of people know how to run them now if you don't so i think me, and business yeah. and business, business owners yeah and business owners yeah. uh you're setting up your google my business page like like you have like those are necessities in business those are different things that you need to do certain things and those are things that i will handle for businesses but then there's plenty of things that businesses will come to me that aren't as cookie cutter or aren't as yeah. or aren't as um uh you know, out there that it's easily accessible to find good quality people. And I think that's where, you know, I'll be able to come in and provide clarity on on some of these harder issues that business owners, that entrepreneurs, that athletes and and, and influencers face on a daily basis that they, that they need solutions on. Well, we've been looking forward to doing this, as I said, and, uh, you're going to be in here a bunch. So th- this is the first little soiree. We kept it higher level today, which which I liked. I mean, I don't really know when it's going to get deeper or whatever. We had some moments like that today, and this this was a great conversation. Thank you for doing it. Um, but I, I think there is, especially as you get to reveal some things that are going on here, I think there's a wealth of, of knowledge and information, as I said earlier, that, that you could share with people that they're going to take a lot of value out of. And I'm very, very excited that you're on to this act two of your journey because act two is always better than act one it is it It is is. act two is always always a little bit better i uh i really appreciate you having me on the podcast i've seen the other i think we're at like am i like 38 
You're going to be like 39 or 30, 40 because I'm filming, I'm filming back to back. <laughs> 39 so. or 40. So, yeah. you know, you've had some great guests. Awesome to be a part of that community that you're creating on the podcast here. So that's something that like, you know, you always want to be in exclusive company. So I think, uh, well, thanks so much for bringing me on, Jules. I really appreciate thanks, it. brother. Yeah. I like that you call this exclusive company. We're building, baby. We're building. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. And uh, we'll keep working on some stuff. Sweet. But everybody else, give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace.